This podcast is brought to you by our friends here at hymns.com. Ladies and gentlemen, do you have a problem with your penis getting hard? Yes, I'd have to just kind of cut to the core and go right to the point. Your penis getting hard. This is a quite essential part of clapping it out, just like the nerd here claps it out all the time. And I don't need this. But some of you guys, I understand you're getting older. You may have this problem where Mr. Penis is having a hard time getting hard and staying hard on the terms that you wish it would. The inability to get and maintain an erection is the most common symptom of erectile dysfunction. Let's help you control the stress in at least this part of your life by helping you receive the right treatment. This is convenient, effective, and discreet. And you can start your free visit at hymns.com. Rise above erectile dysfunction and get a free online consultation now. It starts as low as $4 a dose, only if you use the code VOMPODCAST10, that is VOMVICTORYONLINEMEN.COM. I mean, I hate that military term stuff, but VOMPODCAST10, that's Voices of Misery Podcast 10. There you go. Use that code and God damn it, get your dick hard and please your woman because if you don't do it, somebody else will. Hymns.com. Sponsors of the Voices Misery Podcast. We like them. We like you. That's why we want you to keep your woman happy and just put that smile back on her face and get your confidence up, man. Hymns.com. Get that dick hard. Hey, what's going on again, everybody? It's another episode of the Voices of Misery podcast, and of course, I'm the nerd and my 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 sidekick, my partner in crime. She is on a location, but today I did find someone, a very brave man stepping into the seat of crime. <laughs> a very brave man is going to come on here, and I was doing some research on this gentleman. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting episode because you guys know how I am and you know the kind of things that I'm into and this man is a complete 180 of myself but we're going to get along just fine have a great conversation he is an attorney a former attorney and an award-winning author of the Zachary Blake legal thriller series his name is Mr. Mark Bellow how you doing Mr. Bellow I'm good thank you how are you not too bad now before we get into things here I want you to kind of just introduce yourself tell the people what you're all about and then we'll get into the meat of everything well, uh, I'm uh, an attorney by trade. My name is Mark, M-A-R-K, last name is Bellow, B-E-L-L-O. I practiced law for 45 years. Um, not all of it has been in, engaged in, in actual practice of law. Uh, 20, 20 or so years practicing, uh, another 20 or so uh, doing what is called lawsuit funding, which involves helping uh, plaintiffs financially through the process of pursuing a lawsuit. Um, in, in the first 10 years of my career, I landed a case uh, against the Catholic Church involving uh, a priest who molested some children, um, and uh, I was hired to produce to pursue rather uh, justice 
for these clients. And uh, that prompted what, what I've been calling uh, the case of my life. And when the case was over and we were successful, uh, quite successful, uh, I promised myself that I would one day write a book about the experience because it was satisfying to win. Uh, my clients were happy with the result, but the behavior of the church and the uh, cover-up and uh, conspiracy that I encountered in uh, trying to pursue the case for my clients was very disappointing to me. I wouldn't have expected that a religious organization would behave the way they did. So I said to myself, self, you should write a book about this someday. And uh, after I uh, started to wind down my career in my 60s, I'm 68 years old, mm -hmm. uh, I sat down and wrote my first novel, Betrayal of Faith. And while it's not uh, a detailed story um, of fact, it is uh, a fictional account based on fact. And it essentially launched my career as a novelist. And essentially what's happened is all of my books, uh, six of them so far, a seventh on the way, uh, are fiction based on fact. Uh, and that's essentially a thumbnail sketch of where we're at. Now, let me ask you here, Mark, are you a religious person or were you at least at the time when this case first came about? Well, I don't know that you would call me a religious person. I'm, I'm Jewish. I, okay. um, I, uh, I, you know, you've, I've heard the term lapsed Catholic. I'm probably a lapsed Jew. Uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I certainly identify with uh, the Jewish faith. I believe in, in uh, let's call it Zionism, more than I believe in the religious aspects of being Jewish. Uh but I, I, you know, I, I, I get, I, I don't think you could call me a quote religious person, unquote. What, what again? What troubled me about uh, the Catholic Church and pursuing the case is you would have at least expected the people you're dealing with to, uh, especially since the priest in the case had pled guilty to a crime, uh, and I really expected that the case would be about uh, let's resolve this uh, reasonably and fairly, not uh, fighting me tooth and nail every step of the way and lying, cheating, and stealing uh, the entire time. So that's what we did. It's not a question of uh, necessarily religion per se, but not expecting a religious institution to behave the way they did. Now, with religion, people can lose their minds. They're absolute. They can lose their shit pretty much over religion. And no question. No question. And being someone who is tackling, and you were one of the first lawyers to take on the Catholic Church in these sex abuse cases. Did you I, feel? I, I was an early player in that field. Yes. 
Well, did you feel threatened at all, or were you threatened? Like, because you you got to figure out like, these guys are very connected human beings. A lot of people out there don't understand how connected the Catholic Church is in protecting themselves. Were you afraid at all of this, or you just kind of took it head on? I, I don't think I was afraid in the in the sense that I think you're speaking of. I, I I wasn't afraid for my life. I wasn't afraid that harm would come to me. I I was. Um, intimidated, or, or there was an attempt to intimidate me through the judicial system. Uh, there were a couple of judges who made some strange rulings that made me feel that they were gotten to. Um, I had a a case uh, consistent with the case that I had been successful on, dismissed prematurely. Um, uh, and came to find out that the judge uh, was um, formerly a an attorney who represented the church at one time, or, or worked for a firm that represented the church. So, uh, in in the sense, uh, professionally, I would say that there were some int- intimidation tactics. Uh, there were certainly uh, some anti-Semitic overtones, but no. but I was not. Uh, in fear at any time. I, 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 in fact, I felt uh, I was placing them in fear. Frankly, <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, when like, you, be, you, when know, you behave the way they did, you usually behave that way out of fear. What kind of behavior did they exhibit exactly? Well, they, they uh, uh, the Archbishop of Detroit, mm-hmm. who was somebody revered. I won't mention his name. Sure. On the airwaves, but but uh, he was a revered citizen of the city of Detroit, where I grew up. Um, you saw him on TV all the time. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody who uh, represented the church in a very positive way publicly, and he showed up at a deposition and lied to me demonstratively. I I, I knew what the truth was, and I asked him a a, a, a layup question that I expected a truthful answer to, and he lied to me. Uh, And because he lied to me, I had to work much harder to prove his lie. Uh, And uh, many of his brethren did the same thing. So instead of of, uh, an easy path to justice for um, two kids who were parishioners Mm -hmm. of this church... I had to travel to seven states. I had to take multiple depositions. I had to file a lawsuit. I had to file several motions to get them to do what they were supposed to do. I had to uncover previous incidents that they lied about or covered up. Um, They made my uh, pursuit of justice for my clients much more difficult than it needed to be. And it saved them nothing other than time. Now, did this change your your perception of religion and just the religious? Because I'm an agnostic. I don't disbelieve, but I don't believe. Did this change your perception just going through the trials and hearing some of the details that were given? Well, you'd have to ask 34-year-old Mark rather than 68-year-old Mark. Um, well, in hindsight. And I, I wouldn't say that it, it changed my perception of those who – uh, run organized religion. I've had I've had 
negative experiences with organized hierarchy in the Jewish religion also. Um, rabbis who didn't do what they should have done or uh, treated people poorly when they could easily have treated them with respect and dignity. Um, and in this case, you have a situation where uh, two young boys are molested by a priest. Um, instead of defending the two boys and punishing the priest, they punished the two boys and defended the priest. That was oh, abhorrent geez. to me. It still is. And yes, I guess you would say it jaded me about um, the Catholic Church. As to whether it jaded me about the Catholic religion, uh, that I can't say. I, I, I think religion, as you do probably, uh, is a bit hokey. Yeah. Uh, the idea that, that the world is uh, was created in seven days by a, a, a uh, you know, the man in the sky, <laughs> it just, I mean, it's just not something I believe. But having said that, that's not the issue here. This is this issue is about those who run mm -hmm. um, the Catholic Church. Uh, by the way, in the book, I I don't mention the word Catholic. I, I call the the church the church. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't uh, pick on any particular denomination, and it, it's pretty obvious that that we're dealing with the Catholic Church here. But the reason I didn't do that is because I felt that uh, what happened could have happened in any religion um, to any parishioner or um, member. And I, I didn't want it to be a book about Catholicism necessarily. I wanted it to be a book about how institutional religion can piss on its own members. What do you think the reason for that is? Do you think that they do it because they hold a certain power over people and they get off more on the power and control? Kind of like we're seeing now with the government. Do you think that's what it is, like power and control? Do you think that's part of what the whole religious thing is here? The answer to that question, when you say part of, is is absolutely yes. Uh, I think I think power is a is a definitive part of their motive. Um, embarrassment um, back then was a large part of it. What I don't understand today versus then, um, and, and by the way, I didn't mention this, but I'll mention it now. The case was handled in 1984. Mm. It's, almo it's almost now 40 years old. Um, and there have been many cases since. And the church has paid out billions um, in uh, damages to millions of kids and their families. Rather than simply root out the predators, they simply cover them up, move them, mm -hmm. and pay. And it makes no sense to me. Uh, these days, now that a huge light has been shined on the crisis uh, um, class actions in uh, Louisiana uh, the big case that the movie Spotlight was about in, in Massachusetts yep. um, several cases in my area of, of the country in Michigan 
Um, uh, right now, there's a there's an attorney general investigation and criminal um, investigation involving the very same priest at the age of 78 uh, for incidents um, that occurred back uh, when my uh, two clients um, had their incident with the priest. They finally have now brought him to criminal justice uh, over some kids I didn't even know about. So even today, 40 years later, we're finding out that there was more to the story. Now, what is the legal, I I, I guess, um, like freedom that they get? The fact that they can just get a slap on the wrist, essentially, the, the, you know, the church pays it and they get moved somewhere else to continue doing the same thing they did. They just get relocated and moved. How is that possible? That (laughs) that's a, that's an interesting question. And it's the question I've, uh, uh, that I've been wrestling with for many, many years. Uh, I'll tell you a a couple of stories about it. Number one, number one, the, the priest in my case pled guilty to fourth degree criminal sexual conduct. Uh, fourth degree, uh, when you're talking about child abuse or sexual misconduct, first degree is rape. Um, fourth degree is touching. Uh, uh, don't ask me what second and third is. I'm, I, I'm, I'm not a criminal lawyer, but I, I can tell you what the worst is and what the case that, that um, my priest pled guilty to was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was simply touching. Um, he did more than that. Uh, I'm relatively sure. I don't have uh, proof of that other than testimony. But let's assume that he was guilty of more than um, fourth degree criminal sexual conduct. Any any criminal defendant can be offered a plea deal and accept it, and that's what happened here. So whether he was guilty of first degree, second degree, third degree, or the fourth degree he pled guilty to, he pled guilty to fourth. And he served six months in jail. He got out, and the church, instead of defrocking him, which is what, in my mind, they should have done, I, to me, it's, it's, a, it's a one-time occurrence, and you're out. Mm-hmm. You, you molest a 12-year-old boy, and you can't be a priest anymore. I can certainly tell you whatever I feel about the Jewish religion. If a rabbi molested a congregant at age 12, the rabbi would not be a rabbi anymore. <laughs> I, I can promise you that. But in this case, his penalty after he served his six months was to be transferred to Cleveland from Detroit. Oh, goodness. From one shitty to another. What I did at that point. I found that out was I wrote a letter to the Cleveland plane dealer and I said, there's a predator in your wrist. Uh, you need to get him out of there. And the penalty for that was to be transferred to Baltimore, Maryland. Oh goodness. Um, and, and at that point I lost track of him. The, um, archbishop or the bishop rather of the county where the church that I sued was located was also moved 
and he became he was promoted and he became the archbishop of Joliet, Illinois. Mm. Now why why am I telling you that? Because this recent attorney general investigation by Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel, who has kind of been in the news lately over the Trump yeah. um, yes. uh, Michigan lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana Nessel started this investigation into the Catholic Church and priests who molested their citizens. And the priest in my case, at age 78, got arrested where? Mm-hmm. In Joe. Joliet, Illinois. Mm. Running back to the bishop who protected him way back in 1984. So it's like a never-ending story. It's so disappointing to me that that no matter how much they talk about quote, fixing, unquote, the problem, and this new pope seems to be committed to doing that, um, it's almost a a one-step forward three-step back story. Do you think it's about the money that the church provides to kind of keep their people out of trouble? Or do you think it's more or less um, just a faith thing where you don't want to be the person to send someone to prison because, you know, they're a man of God and you don't want to upset the big man because you're, you're going to send one of his right-hand men to prison. Do you think that's that influences their decisions with these cases? I think the problem is, more serious than that. I think the problem uh, goes into um, celibacy, uh, the kind of the kind of people that a celibate clergy attracts, um, a look the other way mentality because there are multiple players uh, who are either um, predators. Or deviants. Um, there, there was a time when uh, a person, for instance, would suggest that um, the um, I'm trying to I'm trying to say this in a in a um, even-handed way. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day. Uh, when when the um, idea of homosexuality was um, in the closet rather yeah. than as as um, uh, free as it is today, uh, there was this theory that um, you could you could. Uh, become a priest and hide homosexuality by having this priest uh, having relations with that priest and so on. The problem with that, because I've never bought into that theory, even though it might be true, I don't know. Yeah. But um, homosexuality does not make someone a sexual deviant. It makes them a homosexual rather than a heterosexual. I agree. It makes, it makes them gay rather than straight. I agree. That, that doesn't mean they're going to prey on kids. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that theory is, should be offensive to every homosexual in the world. 
Um, this is this is much more a story of sexual deviancy and cover up than it is about um, sexual preference. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, from a legal sense, I, I don't think there's anything illegal. Um, uh, I, you know, I, I, I completely support the Supreme Court decision on gay marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think, I think, uh, however you believe, religiously, or socially, or morally, is up to you, and uh, you should have the same rights as anybody else has. But yep. once you start, once you start. Um, as an adult abusing children, whether you're whether you're a heterosexual abuser or a homosexual abuser, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You're an abuser. So I, yeah, I, I, I hesitate to connect homosexuality with with child abuse. Um, but what I will say is that the celibacy and sexual cover up of um, priest misbehavior contributes to the kind of person that decides to be a priest. If that makes I, any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. And I, and I agree with you 100% on everything that you just said. But my whole thought process of, of this all is basically the whole sexual repression you're basically brought into this as a youth and being told you have to be celibate until marriage and all this other stuff. But then when you become a priest, you you take a vow of celibacy. So I'm thinking that, you know, as you're growing and you get these hormones, you have to repress them. And you're being told constantly that if you have these thoughts, it's a sin. And it's a constant internal battle within the person between the hormones, what you're being told. And, and I think that really, quite frankly, fucks somebody up. And when you become... Actually- You've actually, in 20 seconds, uh, said it much better than I do. Um, the, the, the suppression of what is natural yeah. creates that which is unnatural, right? 100%. Right. I mean, I think if these guys were allowed to go out and have normal physical relationships, you know, have the occasional one-night stand, I don't think you'd have half the cases. It'd probably be less than zero, to be honest with you. Correct. But my, my point is, though, that if it's a dirty little secret and if uh, priests are having sex with um, men or women, I, it doesn't really matter whether they're having sex with each other, whether they're having sex with boyfriends or girlfriends outside of the clergy uh, and, and betraying their vows, that's far less um, harmful in my mind than this uh, concept of molesting children. Mm-hmm. The the point I'm making is that it gives not only all homosexuals or heterosexuals a bad name, but it gives all priests a bad name, and not all priests deserve it. Yeah. Those who those who deserve it are those who partake are, who partook in the serv- in the in the um, in the activity and those who covered it up. And those were the targets of my lawsuit and my investigation back in the 80s. Um, Betrayal of Faith, by the way, is the name of the book. And uh, it's, not a, uh, it's not a nonfiction presentation 
of the occurrence. It's a fictional account. It is um, embellished. It creates a kind of a CIA, uh, I call it the coalition in the book. Um, uh, the coalition is a clandestine organization within the church, um, which has the job of covering these kinds of events up um, by any means possible. And uh, their job is to get these cases settled and silence witnesses and make a lawyer's job as hard as possible. And the reason I created the coalition when I wrote the book is because it felt that way. Uh, as I'm pursuing this case, um, I felt I was being lied to. I felt documents and, and uh, prior incidents and, and witnesses were being hidden from me and, and the incidents um, uh, surrounding uh, my case and the cases before it, I found out uh, the hard way uh, rather than having them be forthcoming about that. And, and by the way, um, the law requires you to be forthcoming about prior occurrences. You, hmm. can't, you can't lie under oath, as you know. Yes. You can't suborn perjury, which means persuade other people to lie under oath. And that consistently happened in the case that I pursued. People claim they didn't know anything when they did. Now, People I watched, claim no records when there were. Yeah. Now, I watch too much TV. So I kind of just, I'm sorry for interjecting here because I watch too much TV. <laughs> So I so I, this is the perfect question. You're the perfect guy to ask this to because like I'm sitting here and I've got my mind running and I've got like all these images in my head here of just money changing hands, bribes being dealt. Like, hey, Mark's going to talk to you tomorrow. Here's a hundred thousand dollars. You didn't see a thing. Was some of that going on? Do you think? Like, what do you think was happening here? Because I see a lot well, of money changing hands. People that told to shut up. I'll, I'll give you the version of that. Okay. Because because this is this is this actually happened in this case. Um, it isn't. It isn't as you described it, but it is what you described. Mm. Uh, and if that doesn't make sense to you, I'll I'll, I'll explain. Okay. I'm I'm sitting in a mediation, and I'm convinced that the two boys I represent can't possibly have been the first two victims of this priest. So I start screaming and yelling. Uh, almost literally, <laughs> uh, that this is not the first time that he's committed these acts several times, uh, that he's a sexual predator, that he ought to be off the streets, let alone be a priest, and that the consequences of this kind of behavior and cover-up are far greater than two young boys who I represent. This has far greater uh, potential consequences. <laughs> and, the, and the lawyer on the other side basically starts chuckling and said something to, the, to this effect. The case he's talking about in Wyandotte, Michigan, um, falls far short of what he's describing. Now, why did, I, why did I just tell you that? Because 
I had no idea there was a case before <laughs> mine in Wyandotte, Michigan. They disclosed it at this mediation at the stake. So what I did is I went to Wyandotte, and I uncovered, I, I think he mentioned the name. And, I, and again, I don't want to mention the name yeah, on the air. But let's, let's just say he said Jones. Okay. So I went to Wyandotte, which is a suburb of Detroit, uh, downriver, if you're familiar with the Detroit area. Um, and uh, back then, you had no internet. You had no cell phones. You had, what was, you had what was called Bressers. Uh, and Bressers was the way you researched who owns property uh, in, a, in town at the library. You had to go to the library, open this book, and hit the word jo- and look up the word Jones and see how many Joneses own property in, in uh, Wyandotte, Michigan. Now, Jones is a bad choice because, as you can imagine, there would be a ton of Joneses. Very, very common name. Uh, let's assume the name was Bello because Bello's easier. So you look up B-E-L-L-O, and maybe there's five of them. Now, the, the name of these people were more common than Bello, but I'm making my point. What I did is I, is I put together a list of about 15, 20 names, and I knocked on doors to find these people. Literally. I stuffed the addresses, and I and um, I forgot how you. I, I think you had to get a uh, get out a map, but uh, back then, but uh, there was certainly no there was certainly no Google Maps or something like that. Um, but I, I I knocked on doors, and I said, "Do you know this person who was involved in this situation?" and after about the 10th or 11th try, someone said, yes, um, I believe that you're talking about so-and-so, so Jones, and they moved to Florida. So now I had to do it all over again. I flew to Florida uh, um, in this, to the city that, that this person said they lived. And did the same thing all over again and started knocking on doors again. And I walked into a trailer park, knocked on a door, and I found the father of these two boys who had been divorced from his wife, probably over this incident, and uh, gave me the address. Uh, I'm sorry, he didn't do that. He, pro- he said he would call mm-hmm. his ex-wife and see if she was willing to see me. And uh, I got a phone call from the woman who said, leave me and my kids alone. And I basically appealed to her maternal instinct and said, he did it to two kids following your four kids, and I found out there were four of them. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he'll do it to two kids after that and two kids after that until he stopped. And she said, I'll tell you what, it's not for me to give you permission or not per, or not give you permission. It's up to my boys. And she asked her four sons. The four sons immediately agreed to talk to me. 
uh, and that broke the case wide open. Once, once, once there was a prior incident that was being covered up by the church, uh, now they denied knowing about it. Um, now that's, that may sound strange, but what they denied is they didn't deny knowing about it now. They denied knowing about it at the time that the two boys I represented were abused. Mm-hmm. So, um, and, and by the way, the reason that's important, every, everything I say leads to something else I have to say. <laughs> the reason that's important is because you're suing a celibate priest, a mm-hmm. priest who has vowed an oath of poverty. So unless you can sue the church for covering it up, you basically are suing someone who doesn't have any money. Mm. Um, exactly. So, so yes, like, needed, so what's the point? What I needed was prior knowledge and a cover-up. Um, so what they were claiming was that at the time the two boys I represented were molested, they didn't know about the four boys in Wyandotte. Now, come to find out in this attorney general investigation that there were more boys than even I knew about. Mm-hmm. Um, six, I did. And that's going to come out in this, in this Michigan attorney general investigation. But finding those people based on a mistake by the lawyer in a mediation hearing uh, broke the case open for us. That was simply tracking down people and getting them on the record. Um, and finally, what, what ended up happening is because we proved prior knowledge or, or uh, at least um, the standard is knew or should have known, they never admitted they knew. What we proved is that they should have known. Um, they would never admit it. So we basically embarrass them into uh, coming to the conclusion that they were negligent in not knowing, if, if you understand what I mean. Oh, yeah, definitely. And as a result, uh, we uh, essentially had a final mediation, pre-trial mediation, and settled the case for a, a nice sum of money. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it sounds like you're the kind of guy that you don't want to fuck with if you're the uh, the opposition there. And uh, um, it's, it's, it's just really cool to hear that, like, you were flying around, like you were going knocking on door to door. You you really did your due diligence. You didn't phone it in. Like, you actually cared about the victims and wanted to see a result. You know, like, you wanted to get the result that you feel like they deserved. And and, and I, I just give you some kudos for that because a lot of people, and, and I'm sure because, like, I, I, I just spoke with a lawyer just recently, a, a different kind of lawyer, a, a divorce lawyer. And she was telling me how basically, like, sometimes people will just go for the quickest result just to – kind of phone it in so it's, it's it's really refreshing to hear that you took the extra steps to go out there well, and, you, you know, know if you think if you think about if you think about uh tort lawyers mm-hmm. uh per- personal injury negligence etc uh which is what i did the most prevalent case you're going to handle is an auto accident um now an auto accident is essentially investigated by a cop uh and a police report and, um, you know, if, if party A rear ends party B, you pretty much know who's at fault. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not 
it's not the kind of fight I just described where where uh, abusive conduct um, is covered up by the responsible entity um, uh, covering up the crimes of a, of a particular perpetrator. Now, having said that, you could you could draw uh, parallels to let's say um, police misconduct, um, where you know cops circle the wagons and say it was the black guy's fault. <laughs> um, uh, uh, bad drugs, where the drug manufacturers uh, say that the person who took the drug uh, abused uh, or didn't follow the instructions. Uh, there are certainly other types of litigation that involve cover-ups, but uh, this is such a uh, sensitive topic. Uh, the, Boy Sc- the Boy Scout cases is a good example of what this is. Okay. Uh, the Boy Scouts of America for years denied that any scout masters or scout leaders were abusing children, uh, and now it's come to light in a class action lawsuit or a, a multi-district lawsuit that uh, thousands of kids have been molested by scout leaders. So it's it's not it's not um, only uh, yep. an activity engaged in by the by the church is engaged in by um, many organizations and in many different walks of life. And you have a situation where one uh, young, in my case, Mm -hmm. I was out of law school seven years, one young lawyer uh, willing to do what I did can essentially bring down Goliath. David, David can defeat Goliath in the, civil justice system and that's what that's what betrayal of faith is about it makes you wonder because like you're talking about the boy scouts we're talking about like young boys and in the church it, it makes you wonder if they got into that business so they can either be around young children who they have influence over and can kind of you know precondition them to do the things that they want them to do or if it's just People are, are like people are just fucked up. Like, are, are they born that way, or is it just a, a a product of their surroundings, or is it just someone saying, "Hey, I can get around young boys. Let me become this. Let me become that, just to be around them." I have you ever gotten the chance to just ask these people, "Why did you do it?" Well, that get that that's a question better asked of uh, a future guest, uh, a psychiatrist, perhaps. Um, having said that, the the answer to your question is, as I described it earlier, uh, it felt like a conspiratorial cover-up. Um, it felt like uh, people uh, who are deviants go into uh, these um, careers with the expectation that their position and their status will help them get away with the kind of behavior we're talking about. Yeah. But, but what, what bothered me and still bothers me is this concept that it's a homosexual problem rather than a sexual deviancy problem. Mm. I, I, I don't think that because someone's a homosexual, that's going to make them a, a child abuser. And that's, that seems to have uh, been 
at least to some degree, um, a common theme over the years involving these cases. Um, and I just don't support that theory. I, I support the fact that what two willing adults want to do with each other is their business. What an adult wants to do with a child is our business. And that's the difference. I agree with you here. Now, let's just move away from this topic here for a little bit, because I do want to ask you, because you you have worked on some other high profile legal cases as well. And you have. also have been into some like like social justice, like you're you're big into social justice. So before we get into the other cases, I do want to ask you, what does social justice mean to you? Because you hear about it all the time. Social justice, social justice. What does it mean to you, Mark? Well, in the in the in the context of what's going on today, uh, social justice could be um, why does a white police officer stop a black man driving through a white neighborhood who has done nothing wrong? Why does the cop claim there's a you know a busted tail light? When there isn't, uh, just to check and see whether or not this black person driving through town is up to mischief. Um, uh, stopping uh, a Latino immigrant at the border uh, because you have the power to do so. Um, uh, arresting someone who's done nothing wrong because he looks uh, or talks differently than you do. Um, those, are, those are the examples of uh, things I've written about. Um, uh, uh, Trump coming down the stairs and saying uh, Mexicans are bringing drugs and crime and Muslims are all terrorists. Um, those are social injustices. Um, Discussing discussing purity, uh, a la Hitler, mm-hmm. in the context in the context of America, uh, is an example of anti-social justice. Um, police brutality in general, um, uh, an abusive president, uh, cop protecting cops when they should be protecting citizens. Um, uh, Protecting guns rather than um, common sense gun reform. Uh, you may disagree with that. I, I don't know what your politics are, but uh, common sense uh, would suggest to you that certain people uh, should not own certain guns. Oh, of I'm, course. Certainly, I'm certainly not an anti-Second Amendment person, mm-hmm. but, I, but I do believe in common sense gun reform. Um, uh, and, I, and, you know, take it a step further, yeah. if you look, if you look at politics, uh, and, and by the way, these are all subjects I've written about, we can talk about my other, uh, five books. Oh, absolutely. But, but, but um, but the, the, um, political battle over the Supreme Court and, and the, the mixture of the judicial system and 
the political or uh, um, executive or legislative branches of government, um, that's a bastardization of our system of government. Uh, God bless the Supreme Court right now. Mm. Not, not that I, not that I like uh, the current ideology or makeup of the Supreme Court or how or how it became uh, the current court, but at least what they did is they said, "We're a court. We're a court of law. We're not a political machine. We're yeah. not part of this this political battle, and we're going to enforce the law and the Constitution." When it comes to this election, even though we were appointed by the very person who's asking us to look at this. So uh, I have a lot of respect for what they just did. Mm-hmm. But but that's an example of uh, social injustice. Had the Supreme Court basically did his bidding for him, yeah. uh, that would have been uh, a, a constitutional and social injustice. Now, I kind of want to take a step back here really quick because I want to ask you about the whole stigma and and just the word stereotypes. Because personally, I'm a young Hispanic male. I'm 38 years old, so I'm I'm, I'm not young to some of our listeners are going to say 38. You're you're ancient. My kids think I'm ancient at 38. (laughs) They think I was born in in 1901, you know. Well, I just called myself a young lawyer when I was 34. I'm 68 (laughs) now, so... So, uh, 68, 68 young. 30, 38 sounds young to me, but that's I have a 41 year old daughter. So you're so <laughs> put that in perspective, right? You're young enough. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, I mean, like we are on complete opposite spectrums, like how I opened up the show. Like I used to be Democratic. Now I find myself over the past couple of years becoming more Republican. That's why I'm enjoying, you know, the part of the, 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 the topic of conversation that we're going towards here. Now, I was going to ask you about stereotypes, because do you think that some of this is brought on by stereotypes? Because I do feel like stereotypes are true, no matter how much we hate to admit it. Some are pretty true. Or, and maybe some of these stereotypes may influence decisions, you know, brought upon these situations, in, in a, you know, when it relates to police officers and maybe pulling over someone of a different nationality, like maybe they're doing it because they have these preconceived notions that, hey, I'm going to pull over this black guy because of, you know, X amount of crimes in this neighborhood. Because when you look at the numbers, it looks like, you know, you have a very small population committing the most of the crimes. Maybe they're looking at those numbers. And I'm speaking myself as a Hispanic male. They're looking at us a certain way because of certain numbers and statistics. Do you feel like that has a lot of influence in their decisions to do the things that they do? I'm I'm curious, based on what you just asked me and, and what you just disclosed, um, <laughs> why you would be a Republican? But that but but we'll 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 put we'll put that aside for a second. Um, the the there's a line for me. I I don't disagree with what you said. I, I, I the cops are certainly victims, if you will, of their own experiences. So if they've experienced particular problems as white cops, let's say, or even as black cops, 
with the black community, then they're going to be jaded when they see a black driver driving through a white community. And my fourth book, Betrayal in Black, is about this topic. It's about a family who are, who's driving through a uh, Michigan town. They just attended a fair in a 97% white community. Mm. Um, and they're driving home, and they're pulled over by a white cop uh, uh, who thinks that the driver looks like the black man who robbed the local Burger King sometime earlier that week. Now, he pulls over this car, and we can assume, for the sake of discussion, that um, he looked like him, even though he didn't. But sure. to the cop, to the cop, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt, as the book does, by the way, for pulling the guy over in the first place. Uh, a robbery happened. It was committed by a black guy. He sees a black guy in an old car driving down the road, and he decides to pull him over. That's kosher as far as I'm concerned. Your job is to protect and serve. Uh, the community is at risk by a, uh, rob uh, a robber with a gun. Pull the guy over. That's okay. He pulls this gentleman over and comes to the window, and the guy is in the car with his wife and his two children, age toddler and three years old, four years old, two kids. At that point, you can pretty much give up the idea that this guy just robbed a Burger King, right? Yeah. Okay, this particular cop didn't do that. And it ends up as one of the unfortunate cases where a black man gets shot by a white cop in a routine traffic stop. And the book explores how the legal system, both on the criminal side and the civil side, and if you don't know what I mean when I say criminal and civil, I'll be happy to explain to you and your and your listeners. Oh, please do. But, but, but uh, it explains how the legal system might handle such an event and also how the community might appropriately respond to initiate positive change. Um, so it's a very interesting study of those kinds of cases and how the community reacts to them. Now, when I say criminal and civil, the criminal case, if, if you want to go back to my priest case, I told you the cop spent, or the uh, priest rather, spent six months in jail. That's the criminal side. My client uh, received compensation uh, from the civil system. That's the civil side. So uh, injuries and damages being paid compensation is the civil side of a case. The, the uh, punitive uh, penalty aspect where, uh, where the perpetrator is uh, prosecuted and goes to jail, that's the criminal side. Well, that makes sense. Now, <clears throat> let me ask you your question about how I became a Republican. And I wouldn't technically call <laughs> myself a Republican here. 
But just let me give you a little bit of background here. Um, so I'm 38 years old. Uh, I'm born and raised in New Jersey. Came down here. Now I live in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And uh, just kind of growing up, you were always told as a minority, like, hey, the Democrats are the good guys. The Republicans are racist. And that's this is just how I grew up. Your experience may differ, people, uh, people listening. And, uh, yeah, I was always basically told Democrats good, Republicans bad. And I just grew up that way, and I just kind of always blindly went for the Democrats, and it, and I never questioned it. It was just a way of life. Right. And recently, over the past couple of years, you know, when 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 Trump got put in office, I was like, oh shit, we're we're screwed. This guy's horrible. He, you know, he's racist because I'm watching CNN at the time. I'm just listening to the news, and I'm like, oh my goodness, I hate this guy. I don't know what. Oh, he's going to put up a wall. He's going to block all the Mexicans out, and there's no illegal immigrants. And then as the years went by, uh, about two years into his presidency, I'm like, yeah, you know, things haven't changed. I'm actually getting more money put in my pocket. I feel like I was getting more money and the unemployment rates were dropping and he was saying dumb shit. But which politician hasn't? I mean, like even our current president said some or, or president elect said some really horrible things about minorities. You know, uh, you, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black and all the stuff that he said way back when, you know, when he was uh, just a simple senator. He was saying some pretty horrible things, and <clears throat> now he's the president. Everyone loves him, apparently. I just feel like everything Trump said about the media is true uh, as far as fake news and just people reporting things that they want to have said, and there's a narrative out there, and it's, it, it just feels really left slanted, and I felt like I've been lied to my entire life as to what the Democratic, the Democratic Party represents, and I just and and I voted for Trump this time. I'm not ashamed to admit it. I, I voted for him against Biden, and I'm a little upset things went the way they did. And who knows what's going to happen as far as the future goes? But I basically would rather have the asshole I know than the asshole I I, I don't know. And just recently, well, I, I, you know, I I, yeah. I I consider I consider um, Trump the asshole that I know, mm-hmm. and and I know I don't want that asshole. So so. <laughs> So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, here, here's my problem with Trump. Mm-hmm. B- besides, besides, uh, uh, and by the way, I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I, I certainly don't think that anybody uh, should be pigeonholed. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm Jewish, therefore I should believe this. Yeah, uh, I'm Hispanic. Or I, I'm a I'm a um, Hispanic Christian, so I should believe that. Um, uh, you have a right to be a Republican. I have a right to be uh, an independent, uh, probably Democratic leaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I agree that we basically take our marching orders uh from our parents um and if you if you consider uh you know again i'm i I told you i'm 68 years old which Mm -hmm. means which means i'm a baby boomer uh which means my uh parents had my brother myself and my sister right after world war ii and they and they had just gone through as jewish people Mm. World, World War II and Nazi Germany. 
Not a good time to raise kids. And the hero of World War II in America was yeah. Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Yeah. Uh, and um, he was a four-term Democrat. He died in office in his fourth term, but he was a four-term Democrat. His successor ended the war, and he was kind of a hero uh, as well. Uh, anybody that finishes off Hitler <laughs> to a Jew is a hero. You gotta, uh, you're a made man at that point. Yeah. Uh, so so with, the, with that background in mind, uh, we're born into a into a democratic um, household. Uh, now, I voted for many Republicans in my life. I've never voted for a presidential Republican, um, but I voted for a lot of Republicans. Now, part of the reason I, I I vote Democratic, and you probably don't know this, but. Uh, most Democrats are for, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, this is an interesting point that we that I, sh- I should share with your listeners. Well, please do. There's a Seventh Amendment in this country. And for those Republicans who are diehard Second Amendment people and claim that the Constitution grants them the right to bear arms and essentially unfettered access to guns, Seventh Amendment grants a person the right to sue somebody. Hmm. And, it, and it grants a person the right to sue somebody over any amount in excess of $25. Now, why $25? Because the second, Seventh Amendment was written back in the late 1700s or 1800s. I don't know exactly when. But it's been around a long time. So when somebody starts telling you that you can only sue for this amount of money or you can only collect that amount of money in a lawsuit, I believe that's unconstitutional. I believe it violates the Seventh Amendment. Um, So when someone says, if you sue a drug company, you can't collect anything in Michigan if it was approved by the FDA, that violates the Seventh Amendment, in my opinion. If you say that a person can only collect two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in a medical malpractice case uh, because we're trying to protect doctors from being sued, that violates the Seventh Amendment. And you can't have it both ways. You can't be pro Second Amendment and anti Seventh Amendment. Now that concept I just mentioned creates strange bedfellows because uh, as someone who does what you do I'm sure you've heard of the Tea Party oh yeah all right the, oh, yeah. the very conservative Tea Party is in lockstep with a liberal tort lawyer over the Seventh Amendment the Tea Party does not support tort reform it supports unfettered access to the civil justice system. But, but typically, those who seek to reduce the ability to sue are usually Republicans. Those who seek 
to allow people to sue are typically Democrats. And I'll illustrate that currently. The current stimulus package that Congress is debating right now. I think what it might be as we're recording. Far apart on. Mm. Issue one was um, benefits directly to the states, mm. right? Yes. The second issue was protection for those people or those businesses who allow someone to catch COVID in their place of business. The Republicans wanted liability protection. You remember hearing that? Yes, yes. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. Now, that means two things. It means either complete immunity, which is what the Republicans want, or it means limited damages. We'll, we'll limit your ability to collect mm-hmm. to some small amount. Now, I don't know about you, but if I walk into a business and it says wear a mask and uh, wash your hands and uh, use sanitizer, mm-hmm. uh, this is a protected place. We're, we're going to make you behave yourself. And then they let everybody in without enforcing those rules. And you catch COVID and you get terribly sick, or worse, a loved one dies, wouldn't you want to be able to sue that business? Now, this is where I kind of want to counter-question you here a little bit, because I don't know, to be honest with you, because the thing about COVID-19 is there's so many symptoms, and they're adding more, it seems, daily. You don't know what the heck you got. And I'm, there's not so- about that. I'm not talking about the argument. They, the- they have all those arguments in court. Okay. I mean, look at look at Trump. Yeah. If you think if if you look at all the lawsuits Trump filed, as frivolous as they were, no one prevented him from filing them, did they? No. Okay. What happened was they all got dismissed because they were bullshit. Right. As as far as the voter fraud. Yeah. So to your to your point, let's assume. That someone files a COVID action mm-hmm. that is bullshit. That's a judicial system issue. The judge has the power to accept the lawsuit or dismiss the lawsuit. My problem isn't that there are some lawsuits that shouldn't be brought. I look at every tr- lawsuit that Trump brought over the election as a lawsuit that shouldn't have been brought. That's why they all got dismissed. But what my but my point is, he was allowed to bring them. Yeah. What this does is it prevents you from even suing the business and proving your case. Okay. That's no. a big difference, isn't it? Oh, oh absolutely. Okay, you so have the freedom what, to what we're talking about here is the Republican support immunity, no matter how bad your conduct is, and the Democrats said no way. Now, the Democrats, apparently, based on what I just heard recently, and and as we were going on the air, Mm -hmm. uh, they just uh, worked out a deal, from what I understand. I don't know the terms of the deal, but but the sticky point was this liability protection. And I don't think anybody should be protected from liability. 
look at look at the, the what I just told you about the church. Can you imagine if the uh, United States legislature had basically said, uh, since um, the Catholic Church is a huge contributor to uh, the American political system, we're going to give them immunity so that any any priest who molests a kid, uh, uh, the kid can't sue. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. I mean, it, it would just be difficult. It would just be worse, way worse. So as a trial lawyer, which is what I am by trade, the Republican Party's support for that concept, that uh, corporate immunity, uh, protecting the economy over the injured citizen, that's a deal breaker for me mm. as a trial lawyer. That's that's predominantly, especially in Michigan, why I typically vote Democratic. Mm-hmm. These these other issues, um, you know, Republicans tend to be pro-life, Democrats pro-choice. That's not an issue that matters to me a whole lot. I've never been faced with uh, uh, a girlfriend or a wife or a child who needed an abortion, thank yeah. God. Um, I don't know how I'd react to that. I'm not. I'm certainly not. You know, it's funny because I, I describe myself as a uh, uh, anti-abortion, pro-choice Mm-hmm. Um, I am a pro-choice person because I don't think it's any of my business. Same. But me, that me too. doesn't make pro-abortion. You follow me? Oh, yeah. I'm the same way because I am pro-choice in certain circumstances because I've talked to people, you know, from all different religious backgrounds and they've come at me like I've had two-on-one conversations where two religious people attack me and I've always had the same stance. I'm okay with abortion if a woman's raped or if it's a byproduct of incest or molestation or something happens to someone who doesn't have their own wits about them as to what's happening to them. If a young girl's touched by her creepy uncle and turns up pregnant, she has the right to an abortion. These people are, are, are nuts that are saying, no, she has to give birth. It's God's will. If that's God's will, then I'm sorry to say it, but F you, God, because I don't, I, I don't think that if there is a God, which I don't know if there is or isn't one, I don't think he would want some creepy uncle impregnating a young underage girl. So I feel like she has the right to do it. Now, if a girl's a slut, here's my my problem. In America, uh, the First Amendment says Mm -hmm. you have freedom of religion, A, or B, freedom to be an agnostic like you are, or freedom (laughs) to be an atheist if you want to be. And this this um, uh, moral majority um, uh, Christian um, I, I'm, I, 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 what's the um, the word I can't uh, anyway the, the the religious intrusion into the judicial system very much like this executive intrusion into the judicial system, Trump basically said, I appointed you, you owe me loyalty, rule this way. Uh, all of that stuff is bullshit. The judicial system is the judicial system. 
religion has no place in it. Um, the legislature has no place in it. And the executive branch has no place in it. Yeah. And uh, the party that uh, that allows the judicial system to be the, the judicial system is the Democratic Party. Um, so that that's, the, as an adult, forget my childhood as a Jewish person and, and Roosevelt and, and all of that. Uh, as an adult, the thing that drives me toward Democratic uh, politics is typically tort reform and and leaving the judicial system alone and letting my clients and me pursue justice for whatever dollar amount is appropriate rather than some artificial limit set by the legislature, whether that be a state legislature or a federal legislature. Now, let me ask you, because you just mentioned tort reform, and if I'm not mistaken, and you're the expert here, so I'm just going to throw out what I think tort is, and then you can correct me, obviously. Okay. So so tort is basically, if you have an employee who does something horrible while on the job, they can be let off the hook if they say it was to benefit the company, and the company has to take the brunt and full responsibility. How would you reform that? If that's First what it is? All, all a tort is, is a civil harm. Okay. Uh, a crime, uh, uh, you shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. That, is, that is a crime and a tort. The crime is that you violated the statute uh, first-degree murder. You, you deliberately shot somebody in the head. Mm-hmm. Okay? The tort is civilly between you and him. That gets back to that. What I told you earlier about uh, the the priest doing six months and then being sued by the kids, mm-hmm. the one is a civil harm, the other is a criminal harm. It's the same act, but you're pursued criminally by the state. You're pursued civilly by the person you harmed. Okay. That is called a tort. It, the, the, the pursuit of the person by the state... For the crime is the crime, the pursuit by the person who was harmed against the perpetrator is a tort. So uh, an example of a tort is being rear-ended by another car. Mm-hmm. That's a tort. Uh, uh, falling in a store and hurting yourself because somebody left water on the floor. That's negligence. That's a tort. Um, um, being given a bad drug by a uh, uh, drug manufacturer who didn't do enough research to determine that it had nasty side effects. That's a tort. Now, it could reach the level of a crime, but at least between the drug company and the victim, that's a tort. So there's all kinds of torts. It's not just the, the... the incident you described. Okay. See, see, so I was kind of in the ballpark, but you did mention something that I do want to get your, your input on here because you were talking about people not being held liable. Now in the news, they're saying that Pfizer and, and the other vaccine companies are not going to be held criminally liable. If people have these adverse reactions or something bad happens because of this vaccine, are you what doing, is you're your doing, stance? You said, you said, you said criminally, I don't know whether, First of all, to be well, held criminally liable. Well, they can't be held accountable. Yeah, they can't be held accountable. All right. C- civilly, though, 
Yes. Uh, and that, by the way, that's important. Uh, when, when you talk about criminal behavior, you're talking about doing it deliberately. You're either so negligent, so neglectful that you it reaches the, the level of a crime or you do it deliberately. Uh, we want to make money. Uh, everybody's seeking a, a, a vaccine. So we're going to put out this piece of crap drug and say it works when it doesn't. That's a crime. Now, what you're describing is um, you do the absolute best you can. You put out the best drug you possibly can. You check and recheck whether it has side effects. And lo and behold, somebody has a negative reaction to it. There's one person in the world who uh, just, you didn't profile properly. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, you could be held responsible for that. But what you're describing is that in return for Operation Warp Speed and creating the drug that millions and millions, billions for that matter, need... Giving a liability pass to the companies for creating the drug as fast as they did without checking, um, let's say, for years as they normally would. The exchange is that if, if there's a few negative reactions, even deaths, you'll be excused from, from liability. Now, I have to tell you, that may violate the Seventh Amendment that I described to you, but I think that that's that there's existent circumstances that make that a, a justifiable exchange. It's fair mm -hmm. if you're going to put the company in a position of making a drug quicker than they normally would and putting it out there faster than they than they otherwise would have. You can't at the same time hold them liable if a few people, um, if a few side effects got ignored. So no. I, I, I don't, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not somebody who says um, everything is black and white. There's no shades of gray. I believe that absolutely yeah. there's shades of gray. What I was, what I was pointing out with the political fight over. The stimulus package is that as someone who champions justice for citizens, typically, the party who is on the side of the citizens is usually the Democrats, and the party that's on the side of the uh, corporate wrongdoer or insurance companies is usually the Republicans. Hence, I tend to vote Democratic. Now, what about this, though? Because my whole thing here, because I don't really care for either party enough to sit there and say <laughs> I'm in love with this one, because I do see both sides. Right. I, I tend to lean more right now, but I do see sides of the Democratic Party that I do enjoy. One thing I hate about both, and this is where I really, really can't stand the Democrats, is because Pelosi recently said that, OK, now that Biden's president, we can – 
come to a smaller agreement on a stimulus package when the Republicans are the ones going up in price and she stayed firm. Oh, no, we can't move. We can't move because I don't want a check with that man's name on it, meaning Trump. And now the stimulus package that recently passed within the past couple hours or so that they just, you know, they just announced it online. I, I, I saw is for half the money after months and months and months of people being unemployed and people just not receiving any aid from the government. Why couldn't they just come to something that says, all right, let's just put all the crap aside, all the bullshit aside, and here's a direct payment. We can all agree that people need money. Why can't they just come to that? And that's where I just hate politics and, and just the government in general because they could have put aside the dumb shit and just given us some money. Like, like where do you stand on that? Well, I, 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 I stand on in the middle somewhere. <laughs> Same. And I, I hate I hate to I hate to be a fence sitter, but I'm going to explain to you what I'm what I'm talking about. Of course. Um, what you said is absolutely true. The problem is that. Let's assume for the sake of discussion. That. You know. In your heart of hearts. That what America needs. Is. Twenty four hundred bucks per person, and I, you know, I, frankly, the amount they're discussing mm-hmm. is, uh, is, in my mind, too small to make a difference. Yeah. What are you stimulating? The the the, the fact that somebody can make one month's rent, because exactly. if you give somebody a stimulus of six hundred dollars, that's about all they can do with that money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm someone who who is who has more means than that. Um, Same. Same. I'm doing okay right now. Um, but there are people who need that 600 bucks or 1200 bucks or 1800 bucks or 2400 bucks or more. Um, and they've needed it for a long, long time. To your point, yes, it should have been done six months ago, eight months ago, whatever it was, whatever the last one was and, and, how soon the next one should have followed. The problem is that if, you, if you're if you a Democrat and you cave in and you agree to, let's say, $300, which is what they wanted back then, yeah, it's doubled. So that, that, that's to the Democrats' credit. The problem is so much time has gone by that the doubling is meaningless, to your point. Mm-hmm. But they did get the number doubled. Now, what was going through their mind was, if we say yes to $300, then we won't be able to do it again. So we better get all that we can for the people rather than caving in now for $300. As it turned out, um, it took too long for them to get what they wanted, and your point is well taken that they wasted too much time getting too little money in return. So I agree with what you're saying, a pox on both their houses. But the point is that it was, it's such a shallow amount of money in terms of what people need. Um, that I think it, Again, I, I, I just, my problem again, 
getting back to Democrat versus Republican is that your argument could be used against you as well. Why didn't they just agree? Of course, eight, eight months ago, to giving people twelve hundred bucks or twenty four hundred bucks, mm-hmm. rather than saying three hundred will cover it. When you're when you're somebody who's a millionaire, and you're deciding the fate of people who don't have jobs, uh, and and have no access to money, mm-hmm. and no bank accounts, they live paycheck to paycheck. Yep. And you sit there and say, 300 bucks, take it or leave it, a pox on your house, too. Yeah. So, so I, I, I think they were both wrong. I, I, I just, what I wish we could, ha- we could come to in America is, um, in a, especially in a situation like this, if you want to talk to me about, uh, overspending, and and you know the Republicans. I, I'll give you an, I'll give you an example of of um, where I agree with the typical Republican, but why I don't understand why a typical Republican supports Trump is on is on revenue and spending. <clears throat> I have every month I have to um, make X dollars. And spend X dollars and break even. If I don't break even, I have to break into my bank account if I have the money and pay my bills. I can't spend more than I make. Why can the government? Now, what I don't what I don't understand about a conservative like yourself, because I think the point you made when you first said. I've become a Republican over uh, many years is because they tend to put more money in my pocket. Um, Mm -hmm. Now, Trump's behavior isn't worth that to me, even though uh, what you say is true. A tax cut benefits somebody like me. But it wasn't worth it to me. But my point is, he issues a tax cut, and then he goes and builds a wall that costs billions of dollars, which he can't pay for. Yeah. Explain to me how that's a Republican thing to do. Well, I was never a fan of the wall, but one thing that I was kind of preconditioned to was, and things that I've seen in my environments growing up in New Jersey, was if you voted Democrat, you're voting for handouts. You're voting for 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 poverty. You're You're voting for welfare. And you're voting for just this universal, basically what they were trying to do at one point. And I know uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who I have a special place in my heart for, even though she's a Democrat, is is $15 an hour, just universal minimum wage. And I think Andrew Yang was the guy who was saying, well, let's just give people $1,000 a month and cut work in half to give them more free time to do what they want. In a perfect world, that would work. The Andrew, the Andrew Yang uh, philosophy? Yeah, I just don't see that working in real life. And I feel like these people, they have their heads in the cloud. And I would love to get $1,000. Who wouldn't want to get $1,000 a month, free money and just less work and, and and $15 an hour minimum wage and everyone has a job and everyone's just getting free money and can just afford everything. But that's not real life. 
But isn't that an overstatement? Isn't that an overstatement? I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. And I'm not, and I'm not a supporter of Andrew Yang's thousand dollar a month. uh, He's, he's insane. Um, uh, But on the other hand, I've never found a person on welfare who I would trade places with. Yeah. And, and I've represented people who are, who are an ADC and the accusation was that they deliberately had kids so they could get more money from the government. Thank you. And the amount of and the amount of money that they got was so minuscule that it wouldn't make sense to put a kid into this world to live on that amount of money. Uh, now, now, are there people that would completely neglect the kid just to get money? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I would. I would imagine that there 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 is a one percent segment of the population, maybe less, who would do that. But the average citizen wouldn't do that. So I, I just I've always been a, I've always been a person who says, would I trade places with? And the answer is almost never. Anybody who is who needs a handout from the government, typically I'm not and I'm not I'm not saying there's no abuse. I, I absolutely, by the way, supported the moderate position of Bill Clinton, who said, if you want welfare, you got to work for it. I don't have any problem with that. Go sweep a floor. Go go uh, uh, go um, repair a government building. Uh, yeah. Go build a road. If you mm-hmm. want welfare, you should do something for it. I don't have a problem with that, unless you can, unless you can't work. That's a different yeah. issue. Yeah. But ha- having said that, I've never been someone who said, "Boy, am I jealous of this person who is getting a government handout." Now, this is a question I'm, I'm going to ask you here because I lived in a couple <laughs> different areas, okay? So I, I, I lived in a town called Middlesex, New Jersey. At one point, it was the seventh most expensive town to live in, and I don't know how the hell my mom pulled it off. But I lived in, you know, as a Hispanic family in a predominantly white, quote-unquote, white neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And everything was, you know, the way I envisioned life growing up. And then I moved to a town called Schenectady, New York which was predominantly black, Hispanic, and there were a lot of white people too. It was a very culturally diverse town. And how did that happen? How did, how did you move from the white community to the black community? Oh, I met my wife of 16 years, <laughs> and I and, and, and that was where her family was. We moved up there, and now we're here in South Carolina. It's all We're all over the place. Then, so one, so one, is, one, is, one is you being supported by your parents. The other is you supporting yourself. Pretty much, yeah. Like I became got a it, man. Got it, okay. Yeah, I became a man. I moved on and we had kids and, and here we are. Uh, but I noticed a difference in a very blue voting area where it seemed like there was a culture to sustain the welfare lifestyle. And you would almost see the chain of command, almost like the de-evolution poster where you would see someone tall and or, or, or like the monkey or uh, that's bad choice of words, but like a human being and they get smaller and smaller as they get, you know, smaller and smaller. It would be like a mom holding the hand of a child and then a smaller child and a smaller child and smaller. And they would just go down in age because in New York, if you were over five, you would get your benefits cut. So people were, would be encouraged to pop out more kids and you would see a line of them walking up the street, a mom holding a five-year-old, you know, like an eight-year-old's hand, holding a seven-year-old's hand, holding a six-year-old's hand, I'm trying to paint this picture for people to understand. 
And then there would be like a baby in the picture. You're just having kids to stay in the system at that point. And I feel like they got more benefits. And it was proven because my wife worked with someone who was doing that and just getting more welfare, getting more food stamps, getting more assistance from the government because you're encouraged to live that lifestyle. And it's generational because I talked to someone and they were like, yeah, well, my grandmother did this and my mom did this and now I'm doing it. And I just feel like you, as far as like Democrats, like they want to have that vote and they just keep pumping money and welfare into these neighborhoods where people grew up in that culture. Whereas they're going to keep voting there's for certainly more there's certainly a segment of society who who feels that way. I, I, I don't I, I like I said, I don't I don't think that that represents, quote, all Democrats, a B, I don't yeah. think it represents all Democratic citizens. Uh, and, and again, I, I, I would suggest to you that the reason you and I don't choose to live that way is because we feel there's a better way to do it, and that's to educate ourselves, become somewhat successful, make a living, and support ourselves yeah. on, a, on a greater income than we can get by taking government handouts. So mm-hmm. this, this, this wealthy jealousy uh, of someone who is on ADC or welfare kind of blows my mind. I just, I, I, I just don't understand the lack of empathy, A, and B, the idea that somehow they're gaming the system. Um, I wouldn't want to live uh, with five kids, let's say, on what they live on. Now, yeah. now, should there be should there be some limitation to how much how many kids you can have? Uh, does the, should the government get involved in that? Uh, yeah. uh, regulating pro uh, you know <laughs> procreation? Uh, I don't think you're for that, are you? No, we're not going to move to okay. China anytime so, soon. <laughs> so, so you know. Stopping um, how much you get based on how many kids you have doesn't work. Having giving people more money every time they have a kid shouldn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have the answer for you, but I, I, all I would say to you and anybody else who believes that is, I wouldn't trade places with that person. I, I, I sure as hell wouldn't want to be a person who has a kid just for a, a few bucks, and I wouldn't want to be that kid. What you've done, what you've basically done, is created what what I call a cycle of poverty. Yeah, it just exactly. keep, it just keeps recycling itself. That's what you're seeing in these primarily blue neighborhoods. I mean, like like people that vote blue vote for this because they've seen it, they've they've lived it, they constantly recreate it, and they never learn. And that's well, why I started voting red. I but, feel you're, like- but you're also but you're also seeing a, a sizable number of minority citizens um, breaking away from that and becoming um, responsible members of uh, our capitalistic economic system. And part and part of the problem, as much as I love capitalism. Part of the problem is, on the downside of capitalism, those people who benefit, who are very successful in a capitalistic society, 
are successful to the detriment of those who aren't. That's the difference between communism and capitalism. Is there's there's haves and have-nots in capitalism. There's uh, essentially um, a bunch of people that are the same in the uh, communist system. I, I don't support in any way, shape, or form communism. Um, uh, you know, the the other thing I would suggest to you, if you if you want to look at some of the things we've talked about, sure. Nobody, nobody has a problem on the Republican side with giving a corporation a handout, whether it be during COVID, whether it be during an economic slowdown, like uh, uh, when Bush, when the Bush economy went to shit, and they bailed out the auto industries. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody basically supported that, and it worked out, right? It did. Um, so what you have is a Republican, um, ideology that supports welfare for wealthy corporations who have had an economic downturn, but abhors direct assistance to citizens in the same situation. Uh, It's kind of strange. The the stimulus that we just talked about is, should we give citizens $300, $600, $800, $1,200, $2,400? Yet, this is the government that gave Chrysler, GM, um, Billions in welfare, corporate welfare. I agree. What's wrong with this picture? Did you see the guy who who recently did a video online and he was a restaurant owner and he was yelling about and he had very factual numbers. And he's like, we could have not given these corporate bailouts and given every family in America twenty thousand dollars. And he's like, I gladly would have stayed home, but you didn't give it to us. So I have to stay open. I got to keep my business open because Every job's essential. If, if I have employees, their their families rely on this check. How can you tell me I'm not essential? Well, actually, I got to tell you that that depending on your on your bank connections, mm-hmm. they did they did exactly that. If if you were if you were a larger business and you had a good bank connection, you could get between. Fifty and seven figures, fifty grand. I mean, yeah. As as a company, where all you could get as a citizen was twelve hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. Now, now, in in fairness, uh, and this this gets down to trickle down economics and and Ronald Reagan all those years ago. Um, Reagan's uh, point of view was that if you cut taxes for the wealthy, they'll employ the less wealthy, yeah. and and everybody will benefit. All that did over the forty some odd years since he took office is create the deficits that we now live in, and the wealthy 
became wealthier and kept the money instead of employing more citizens. Now, mm-hmm. that's, an over, that's an overstatement as to what happened. I'm not going to say it didn't work at all. Um, but if somebody gives me, as a businessman, a small tax cut, let's say $5,000 a year, um, because I'm in this tax bracket, or even $20,000 a year. Sure. Am I going to take that twenty grand and hire somebody that I don't need, or am I going to just take the twenty grand? I, I get it. I mean, like I know myself, and what I would do is take that twenty grand and maybe throw a company party or do something nice for my employees. But if you need, if you need, if if, I, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that there aren't employers mm-hmm. who wouldn't who wouldn't quote do something nice for their employees. Look at Joel Osteen. I'm a nice guy. I I would do something nice for my employee. All I'm saying is I would do something nice for my employee because they deserve it. Yeah. Not because the government gave me a tax cut. Well, look at Joel Osteen. The guy got $4.4 million. (laughs) I mean, come on. Did you read about the guy that got $4.something million and bought himself a... uh, Like a Jaguar. An Aston Mark... An Aston... No, a Jaguar. This was the $250,000 vehicle he bought. I think it was an Aston Martin or whatever you call it. Oh, shit. Well, there's been a lot of stories about people. A, just ma- a Maserati. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, he, he, he ended up having to give it back from what I read. But, but mm. the, point, the point is that for some reason or other, uh, they, they have no problem, none, giving wealthy people mm-hmm. welfare. Yeah. The tax cuts you're talking about. You 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 mentioned when we first started discussing politics, uh, why you voted for Trump, and and I think you said because I get to put more money in my wallet. Yes. I, I, I don't want to paraphrase. I, I don't want to. I'm not quoting you. I'm paraphrasing what you said. No, that's exactly it. All right. Now, isn't that welfare? Well, not really, because for me and, and my tax bracket, <laughs> it, it was basically money that I was already getting taken from me. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying, if, yeah. if, you, were, if you were taxed at this rate, and now you're being taxed at that rate, and it's smaller, it's they're they're looking out for your welfare. They're giving you more more of your own money. Yeah, you see, like that's a different. Now, version I, I know what you said. I know what you're going to say. You're going you're to say that welfare is giving you somebody else's money. I, yeah, I, exactly. I, agree, I agree with you 100%. I'm just making the point mm-hmm. that that when they give a break to someone who doesn't need it, that seems to be okay with the, the right-leaning people and companies in America. But when you give somebody a break who really, really needs it, suddenly it's called welfare and it's a bad thing. And I, I just don't understand why one is good and the other is not. Well, now, I think that... in Reagan's mind, in Reagan's mind, uh-huh. if he really believed this, this whole trickle down theory, which to me has never worked, um, but if he really believed it, then I give I give him his his props. He he, he really thought, in his mind, forty something years ago, that it would trickle down to the little guy. But here we are, forty something years later. We've created a, a society where the 1% has uh, uh, oodles more than the other 99. Yeah. We've proven 
that it hasn't worked, and yet we continue to embrace that philosophy. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I don't understand. I, I don't understand when do we say trickle down, tax cuts for the rich. It'll never work. Uh, uh, it doesn't work. When are we going to say that? It'll never work because for the trickle-down mentality, you have to depend that people are going to be moral, which we're not. We're very immoral human beings by nature, and that's something we can never change. That's true. That's true. The fact that's is, true. is like I got a very small increase under Trump, but I was getting money taken from me because of Obamacare, and I was like, wait a second. We're not burdens on society. My, my family and I, we never saw the doctor, but I get punished for not having health care at a time when I couldn't afford it years ago. Now that I can, you know, like we like we have health care and everything. But I'm like, you know what? I just didn't like it back then. And I put myself in these people's shoes because I was in their shoe. If I can't okay. afford health care, right. you're taking money from me. You're, you're, you're punishing me for not being a blight on hospitals. Like we don't go to the hospital because we sneeze. We just we just don't go. And, and, and I know that's, you know, some people are yelling right oh. now. Go, to, go get your regular checkups. But when I got money back from from, you know, the whole Trump administration, like cutting our taxes, like we kind of reinvested a little bit. Like we did things that we thought yeah. was right. I got more money. So when I'm at the supermarket and someone has a box that says donate ten dollars to the homeless, we would do that. We would like we just recently bought toys for tots and we threw them in the box. I feel like you if you're a good person, you're going to do good things. But unfortunately, the morality cause is just thrown out the window because a lot of these people that are getting the money are assholes. Yeah. Well, you had, you had, but you had the uh, compare the Bush economy in 2008 to the Obama economy that followed it. Yeah. Um, uh, that that actually, uh, if you know, I, I'm going to make the opposite point that I made earlier. The bailouts worked, right? A lot of people got got to keep their jobs that would have lost them. Mm -hmm. um, but. Uh, you know they allowed they allowed these auto companies especially, and today it's the airlines. And I'm not saying it's not necessary. I'm just saying it's it's a, it's a it's a fallacious argument to say these people need it and these people don't. Um, but if you go back to 2008 when they bailed out the auto companies, yes, a lot of people kept their jobs. But look at all the people that got burned yeah. by by. Uh, the GMs of the world who were owed money and had to fold their businesses because they couldn't collect money from the GM owed them mm -hmm. for every story you hear about somebody who kept their job. There's some business that relied on GM uh, uh, and GM got bailed out and didn't have to pay them. So th there's, there's, there's haves and have nots in, in every one of these stories. Um, and it, I, I just all I'm saying is welfare is welfare is a strange word. It is, and, and can be, and, and and it creates strange bedfellows as well. Why is it? Why is welfare for Chrysler okay, mm -hmm. and welfare for Joe Blow a dirty word? I know I get it. I really do. Um, it, it, it's a very slippery slope to go down. And another one no is question. something that. I, I kind of want to just jump back to here was we were talking about like, why am I Republican? And I want to just throw it on you here. <laughs> By the because, way, this stuff has nothing to do with my books, but 
No, we're going to get to that. We're going to get back to that again. But I, I just feel like this is a good conversation to have here. And it's just two people that are on complete opposite spectrums that can come together and have a conversation. Absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad we can talk civilly. Open, openly. But, like, you don't see this anymore. And one thing I do want to ask you before I, before I hit you with the question you hit me with is why is it that when, like, a Candace Owens or, like, a – or like a Kimberly Clasic or, or or someone like a like a Van Jones, you got Van Jones on one side, you got these and they're calling each other or the people that, you know, defect from the side that they're supposed to, and I use air quotes on that, you know, side with. So like Candace Owens is is a conservative, Kimberly Clasic is a conservative, and she and they're both black women, but yet they get bastardized and called Uncle Tom's in the media. Do you feel like maybe that is a way of repression or just, just just keeping the black community or just basically anybody uh, who's a minority on the Democrat side because they're publicly shamed on Twitter, you know, Facebook and all these other sites? Do you feel like maybe that's a way of control, like some kind of mechanism that they're using here? Just well, public I think, shaming? I think I think both sides have the same problem. Um, when you discuss the Van Joneses of the world, for instance, yeah. Or, or the so, or the uh, uh, what's her name in uh, New York? Uh, Octavio. Uh, uh, oh, she's out, she's out in your neck of the woods. Oh, Cortez? my little cutie pie. Oh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Yeah, AEO or whatever they call her. <laughs> AOC. Uh, AOC. <laughs> AOC. 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 At the same time, if you look at at who the Republicans have become post-election, especially, and this reluctance they have of seeing the truth uh, and reality about the outcome of the election, it's all related to whoever these 763 million people are that voted for Donald Trump. Every Republican is afraid to insult any part of that, any constituent of that 763 million. Now, now having said that, by the same token, I, I think I, I, 73 million, excuse me. I overstated his, he'd have won if he'd got 763 million. Um, 73 million to 81 million. By the same token, Democrats have the same dilemma. What can you say? What can you do while saying and doing avoids insulting or um, alienating any of the 81 million? Mm -hmm. I don't have the answer to that, but what I would like to see, to your point, is more bravery on both sides. I, yeah. I really admire, as much as I don't like him um, uh, from past uh, positions and this, this um, uh, flip-flopping that he does, I really admire the way uh, Mitt Romney has handled himself throughout this process. Because mm -hmm. at least he speaks his mind and calls... What he sees, he calls bullshit when it when it's appropriate. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to see more Democrats do that. I'd like to see more Republicans do that. This this idea that it took them 30 days to concede and that Trump still hasn't conceded and that there's fraud, um, you know, come on. Every every other uh, candidate, even even in races closer than this one, yeah. uh, acted appropriately, except this time. Well, and, and not only you know you expect this from Donald Trump, and as you can probably tell, I'm not a big fan. Um, well, I never have been, because I've always felt that uh, the only the only person that matters to Trump is Trump. Uh, and I, and he continues to prove that to me every day, um, including uh, how he's handled uh, the COVID crisis. But whether you and I agree or disagree on that, I'm sure we disagree. Oh, we definitely do. The point, the point, <laughs> is, the point is that that yeah. you have very few politicians on either side of the aisle calling bullshit. When it's time to call bullshit, and, I, and your your point about the stimulus package yeah. is a good example of that on both sides. I feel like some people are allowed to call bullshit in their own realm, and some aren't. For instance, if you are a Democrat, you have TV, you have every channel, literally every channel, saying, "Okay, well, this is the right side, and Donald Trump is a scumbag." And Donald Trump's got like maybe like one or two channels that support his cause and say the, the, the left I, you know I, you know I, I I hear that a lot that that CNN has become like a left wing uh, and and my attitude is that Trump made him that way. Uh, CNN used to be a, a, a um, if you want to talk about MSNBC as the answer to Fox, you and I could have a discussion about that. But CNN was always kind of a down the middle. Um, network until Trump. Uh, and he brought that on himself. Um, well, they're, all they're doing is what I'm talking about, which is calling bullshit when it's when bullshit should be called. Now, let me finish. Do sure. I do I understand why someone who supports Trump would hate CNN? Yes, Absolutely. All I'm saying is CNN didn't start out hating Trump until Trump gave them something to talk about. And that's the point I'm making. No, that makes perfect sense. But I'm also going to say that CNN does perpetuate bullshit because if I mean, like, I'm sure everyone out there knows who Chris Cuomo is. He was the guy out there saying how COVID was was debilitating and how he's this guy in his basement he hasn't seen his family in weeks, but yet footage revealed that he was out there with his family looking at a, a house that he just purchased and threatening some dude on a bike that called him out for not wearing a mask. And, hey, aren't you the guy who's supposed yeah. to be in the basement? Yeah. Yeah. And then a week later, he's he's reemerging. Well, again, and, 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 and uh, until he got caught, yeah. the governor of New York was going to do the same thing, his brother. Yeah, and they slipped it under He was going to have his mother over for Thanksgiving, remember? Oh, yeah. And they swept under the rug. So I'm, they're all I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure as hell not saying that these guys aren't hypocrites, but oh, they're yeah. not But they're not president of the United States either. What about the whole conceding thing? Because you talk about Trump conceding, and, and 
I, I I like his fight. I like his gumption. I just want to know the truth. But also, Hillary still hasn't conceded the 2016 election. She's saying how, you know, Trump cheated to win that one. But this one has a lot more weird shit going around. Now, I'm not saying, like, one's worse than the other. I mean, I, I feel like it, if you lost, you lost. Just move on. But Hillary never conceded that election. And Al Gore did challenge the election results in Florida. And there was a lot of weird stuff going on there. As well, so it's like I, I feel like it does go both ways here, not just with yeah. Trump. I don't feel like he's the bad guy, even though he's I mean, he's a very unlikable human being. I get that. It's, I, but it's more than it's more than that. If you if you if you you, you can't compare this to 2000 because you're, you're dealing you're not dealing with the country. You're dealing with one state and that state was decided by 537 votes. Yeah. That's a huge difference between uh, Biden winning, uh, uh, turning turning over the three states that essentially put him over the top, and then two more on top of it. Mm-hmm. So, so to compare Trump's attempt to to basically overturn five states to trying to over to trying to question whether you actually lost by 530 votes or not, I, I don't think it's a fair comparison. Now, if you go back to um, 2016, and the that's a, that's a pretty fair comparison because the three states that Hillary lost, uh, she lost by some 50,000, 60,000 votes total, 10,000 10, in my state in Michigan. Uh, and that's equivalent to three of those five states, Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin, um, the margin there, had you flipped them, yeah. um, would have been consistent with the margin that Hillary won or lost rather by in 16. So the 16 race is a fair comparison, uh, at least in my mind to the 2020 race. Now let's talk about how Hillary behaved. The election, the election, uh, was close. They didn't declare a winner. And and three, four days later, all the news channels basically said it's becoming clear that Trump won. And Hillary came out and said something to the effect that uh, in a democracy, there's a an appropriate uh, transition of power. And the time has come to acknowledge that there should be a transition of power here. Uh, I don't know whether she ever said I concede the election to Donald Trump or, or not, but she certainly conceded that she lost. Um, she didn't do what he's doing and what he did and is still doing, which is um, he's basically encouraging, and she absolutely didn't do this. First, he encouraged the um, electors to vote contrary to what the citizens 
um, mandated that that they vote. A, B, he's cried fraud every day. She didn't. And C, now they did they did uh, to 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 the point you're making. I think uh, about Russian interference. Yeah, Russian collusion. They, they, yeah, they did talk. They did talk about that, but they still conceded the election. Um, um, they called and, 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 and I think and I think the Mueller investigation, whether you believe it or don't believe it, pretty clearly demonstrated that there was some kind of uh, interference, whether it whether it had any effect or not. Um, but my point isn't whether she won or lost. She conceded. Mm-hmm. She was declared the loser by the news channels and conceded. He's been declared the news sh- the, the loser by every news channel, and he refuses to accept the result, and he's taken the extraordinary step, contrary to every other election in in history, he's taken the extraordinary step of actually trying to get the system to change, for lack of a better way to say it, the way the citizens voted, even though, put put the Electoral College aside for a second, mm-hmm. Hillary won by 3 million votes. She did. Trump, Trump lost by 8 million votes. Now, on so the this, flip this, side... This fiction, this fiction that, he, that he won the Electoral College, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of the Electoral College. Same. But... But that was the system that Hillary uh, and he bought in. And even though she beat him, and you can argue about California and South Dakota like Bill Maher does. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love Bill Maher. Uh, I kind of agree with him to, to, to some degree. But, but uh, putting all of that aside, that was, that's the system we're in. And he beat her. Well, it's the same system, and she beat, and, and Biden beat him. And to, and to say it was rigged that it was rigged now, but it wasn't rigged then, well, is absurd. I mean, the circumstances are way different, and that's what, kind of what I want to ask you here: is what are your stances on COVID nineteen? Because they didn't have to deal with this pandemic, and I have my views on this whole thing. Where I believe it's a real virus, but I do believe that they are putting way too much. I feel like it is overblown. And I feel like this was used as a political tactic. I want to get your views on this and like how you feel COVID-19 played a part, how convenient this was and how everything kind of came together. Because I feel like it's way too convenient. And I just I I, I don't believe anything I hear about this. Well, you know. It's hard to believe. Today's politics. So uh, considering considering how divided we are in America, uh, 81 million to 73 million, uh, that's a huge swath of Americans who don't want to see the other side succeed. Um, so so I feel your pain and I, and, and I share your concern about whether we're being told the truth or not. But. This is. I'm going to say something strange. I believe Donald Trump 
um, and what he said to um, Bob Woodward. And if you if you if you're looking for the truth, and you're looking for consistency between what science is telling us and what politics are telling us, then listen to Donald Trump and what he said to Bob Woodward. And what he said to Bob Woodward was, I deliberately lied about the numbers because I didn't want to create a panic. Now, that's what he said. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I saw it. So, so I, I, you know, this idea that, that, People are dying and they're calling it COVID because hospitals make more money calling it COVID. Um, Two things. Mm -hmm. One, the second part of that statement is true. I've read a a couple of articles that indicate that hospitals get more money if if, uh, someone dies of COVID than if they die of something else. I've had someone on the show that that confirmed. Don't ask me. Don't ask me why that's true, but it it apparently is true. Mm-hmm. The 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 part that I don't agree with is that a hospital would deliberately lie about why somebody died, um, especially when there's people like me around, mm-hmm. um, to hold them accountable. I, I just don't see that there's this massive fraud in the hospital system where people are being, uh, are, are being, are dying of quote COVID unquote, when yeah. they're really dying of something else. Now, might there be a situation where somebody dies of, um, of, you know, uh, heart, a heart condition mm-hmm. brought on by COVID or made worse by COVID uh, and it's called COVID rather than a heart condition. Yeah, I'm sure that's true, but that doesn't mean that it wasn't hastened by COVID. Um, and now, to the point of your question, how do I feel? The answer is, I'm scared to sell. Uh, um, and I and I think what we're being asked to do, true or not true, is so simple. That I don't understand this this um, this whole concept of uh, I, I'm free to do anything I want, so I'm not going to wear a mask, and I'm not going to socially distance, and I'm going to travel anywhere I want, and I'm going to visit my family, and I'm going to cause other people to get sick, and I'm going to get sick myself because I I'm free to do that. I don't believe that the Constitution gives you that freedom. I believe th- this idea that this is a free country and I can do this, not a, not if you're putting other people at risk, mm-hmm. and that's and that's what scares me. I I just don't agree that this is America, and I can do anything I want. I think we're being asked to sacrifice. Very simply, wear a mask and stay six feet away from the next guy. How hard is that? And, and if we beautiful. did, and if we did that. Some some fifty to one hundred thousand less people would be dead today. I be, I believe that that's true. You see, I don't believe it, and I this know is you don't. why. I know you, don't. you see, this is why I don't believe it, and the reason is because I think people are going to die, and that's a sad fact of life. I think people are going to die regardless of what happens. It's a fact. You're born and you die. 
The thing that concerns me is that the CDC doesn't even report flu deaths anymore. They said do something. Know anybody, like, do you know anybody who's died of COVID? Uh, in all honesty, like I'm, I'm, I'm I have to think, and no, I, I really don't. Or see, I do, and, I, and that's why I. That's why you and I, you and I have different life experiences. Of course, that's why get, I like this conversation to, to get to the, to get to the point we're at today. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you actually, if you actually saw, um, and you, you, you know, you got a glimpse of it when you saw Trump get out of the car and start huffing and puffing up on the uh, on the on those on that balcony. Mm-hmm. Um, he he wasn't as sick as some people get, but he was um, he was in distress and he was hiding it. Uh, and I, I just, I, again, this is very similar to the welfare discussion we had. Yeah. Walk a mile in someone else's shoes. Exactly. I don't want to be, I don't want to be the person who didn't wear a mask and didn't want stay away from somebody and got someone else sick and that person died. I don't want to be that person. But what about that's, the that's an, easy, that's an easy, that's an easy, that's an easy decision for me. I feel like the government put so many eggs in this COVID basket that everything now is COVID-19. If you have a runny nose. Yeah, but, you, why, but why did they do that? Why haven't they done that? You, you, you and I have lived. I, yeah. You and I have lived in this society for a long time. The uh-huh. last time anything like this happened, uh, I mean, you might argue what Ebola. 1976. But, no, it was, it was 1918 in the Spanish, in the Spanish flu. You see, like, I'm thinking about the vaccines, the vaccinations that killed so many people that they kind of just put a stop to it. They were like, yeah, this is done. We are done with the vaccines because it was it was screwing people up back yeah, in 76. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, not, I, I'm not a vaccine conspiracy guy, although, again, oh, me neither. I'm a guy. I'm a guy. I'm a guy that sues drug companies. So <laughs> yeah. ask me if I trust drug companies. The answer is no. I don't blame you. And the reason I don't trust drug companies is because they do what they do for profit. Mm-hmm. But this is a different situation. This is some, this is this is drug companies being asked to come up with a solution to a crisis uh, in in record time. And if if there's a few missteps along the way, I don't blame them. But if it's to save one life, as Governor Cuomo said, shouldn't we make sure this thing is perfect? And if it's a virus, okay. I, I don't know a, that I, I don't know that it needs to be perfect. You're not saving one life; you're saving hundreds of thousands of lives, at least at least um, based on what is being reported. And and by the way, that what we're talking about is not only being reported by the CNNs and the MSNBCs of the world, but uh, the COVID crisis and the numbers are being reported by the conservative stations as well. But what about this? And, and this is my question to you here. Um, so this virus has a, and and this is something that, you know, the science supports. And, and I, I hate saying the word the science because I, I don't, I mean, by definition, science is trial and error. You get things wrong until you get it right. And it might be wrong later on down the yeah. line. That's what yeah. science is all about. Yeah. They're acting like science is fact. And that's what I hate hearing about this whole thing. But let me ask you this, though, okay? Because we know that this virus has a 99 point something odd percent chance of survival, and it goes down slightly as you get older in age. But still, like even if you're past the age of 80 or whatever they say, 
I, I probably have the age wrong, but I think it's like set, between 75 and 85. There's like a 90. I, I don't know. I don't. First of all, I don't know the numbers as high as you say that is. A, it's pretty high. And B, and B, I do know that it hits um, certain economic and uh, minority uh, citizens harder than it hits wealthy white people. Um, so being so a, being, being a, being a decent, I, I wouldn't call myself wealthy, but I would call myself okay, mm-hmm. uh, and white, uh, and I'm less at risk, even though I'm 68, than, uh, uh, the average minority 80 year old. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it doesn't affect me, uh, personally the way it affects some other, uh, groups of citizens. But I, but I have seen it in action. Uh, I, I know people that have died from it. It's a terrible disease. It's a terrible way to die. Um, it's unnecessary because we can do simple things to prevent spread. And because we're Americans and we claim to have, quote, freedom, unquote, we refuse to do them. And that's what bothers me. I, I, I don't, I, I, again, I, do I trust what I'm hearing unconditionally? No. Do I, I trust uh, Fauci more than I trust Trump? Absolutely. <laughs> See, um, I don't. Do, do, I, do I trust the science over the politics? Absolutely. Do I trust it unequivocally? No. Do I have doubts? Yes, but I, I just, I just, I've seen it in action. It's scary. Um, I know people who have gotten sick. I know people who have gotten sick and recovered and are not, and have not recovered well. I know people who have died. It's a terrible disease. Now, are the numbers accurate? Uh, uh, are they trying to scare us on purpose? Uh, are they trying to scare us into doing the right thing? And it, it, it's not as bad as that. I can't answer those questions. And by the way, I, one thing I will say is that you and I are just two guys, uh, who don't really know a whole lot of, <laughs> about this shooting stuff, the shit. Shooting who, the shit. who are just, who are just shooting the breeze. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, at some point you either have to trust the science, trust the government um there there has to be this leap of faith if you will yeah um and and i, I again I, I get back to what i said earlier and that is that what we're being asked to do is relatively simple um now you know the effect it's having on the economy uh on our way of life um uh, a lot of that is because we're not listening yeah um when, when you know when they shut down the government, uh, not the government. When they shut down the the, the country, mm-hmm. um, we did a lot better. Remember, we didn't do better economically, but we did better physically. The numbers went like, down, the numbers went way down. I feel like worse things happened. I mean, alcoholism went up. You got child abuse, child sexual, you know, cases went up. People getting divorced. I, I feel like it made our lives worse. And you got to think about this. And, and I, I, I understand bring this to your attention too. I understand. I, I understand. I, I understand. We're and, talking. And, about- and again, I, you 
So the other thing that that I that I that I find strange is it it has no it has no political uh, um, ideology. It 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 you know it, it's as bad as in Texas, for instance, as it is in New Jersey. In New York, New Jersey, yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's, they've been it's, masking it's, up. It's not, it's, not it's not like it's a Republican conspiracy or a Democratic conspiracy, um, and Republicans and Democrats alike are 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 telling you, uh, with with you know with some exceptions like Trump, mm-hmm. um, you know so, something to do with vanity, which is absurd, uh, but the the vast majority of, on both sides are telling you to do certain things like wear a mask, um, wearing a mask is annoying but if it prevents me from getting it from you or you from getting it from me i'll wear a mask it yeah. doesn't bother me and that's that's kind of what i'm saying the yeah. simple little stuff to sit there and say uh, you know uh, um hold up a sign that says i can do whatever i want i'm an american yeah yeah that's not true you can't do whatever you want you can't shoot me because you're an american right Exactly. Our touch well, children. So you, so you can't reason. spit on if you have COVID. You can't spit on me either. That's the same murder. Yeah. Either either one is murder. Now let me ask you this: as a social justice person, doesn't this eerily remind you of the Tuskegee experiment from way back when? When you're talking about Anthony Fauci going on TV and saying, my black brothers and sisters need to trust this vaccine, and they publicly have a black woman getting a shot from a black nurse, and it seems like they're pushing minorities, and they've even come out and said, like you've had people on the left come out and say, you know, uh, the minorities are our frontline workers, they need to get the shot over the older population because they're, you know, predominantly white. And, you know, we kind of have the even the playing odds. And there are quotes out there that you back up what I'm saying. Don't you kind of feel like this is actually actually got it, but you've got it reversed. Okay. The The reason they're doing that is because of Tuskegee and the fact that they have duped the black community in the past the black community is reluctant to believe the government and therefore reluctant to take the vaccine. And that's why they're encouraging black people to quote, listen, unquote, but they're rightfully so, but it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not take this vaccine as a Guinea pig. I mean, you know, put aside your example. When you asked me, you asked me as a social justice lawyer, Yes, sir. Ask, ask me as a Jewish person oh, who, had, who had ancestors who were experimented yeah. on during Nazi Germany. Oh, absolutely. This is not that. This is not even close to that. Nobody's experimenting on anybody. They didn't ask. They didn't ask black people to be guinea pigs in an experiment in, in an experimentation project after the vaccine was approved. After the guinea pigs got shots and didn't have negative reactions in any large numbers. That's when Fauci came out and said, trust the vaccine. That's not the same thing. That's a false equivalency. It really is. Okay. Okay. Now, would you personally get this vaccine if it was offered absolutely. at your front door? Absolutely. See, I wouldn't take it. I'm just one of those guys and I do not 
and trust me, like I know I sound like a conspiracist, but I listen to a lot of different people. Then wear a mask. <laughs> no, I do. I do. Okay. Trust me. Like, and, stay, I, and stay six feet away from the, the, the next guy if you if you refuse to take the vaccine. See, that's the, that's the point. That's funny. But yeah. the, the typical person who won't take the vaccine will also, is also the guy that won't wear a mask. Now, See, now I'm not I talking do. about you. I'm talking about in general. Yeah. Well, we talked about this on the show before where my wife and I have gone to a store and, you know, like I'll wear the mask. She 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 has it around her neck. She doesn't really uh-huh. you know, like she's starting to get out of this whole thing. Like, she, she's done with it. But there are people that I notice in stores. They look around like looking for someone to mask shame them like they're looking for a fight. Yeah. And I get it. And I and, and I respect people's rules. It's a private business. No shot and like no socks, no shirt, no service. No mask. And my thing is, is I want a choice. If I don't want to get this shot, which I don't and I will not get it. And I'm not anti-vaxxer because I've gotten flu shots in the past. I've gotten all my immunization shots. My kids have gotten them. I just want a choice. I don't want some airline to tell me you can't get on this flight unless you have your COVID card. I don't want my place of employment telling me you can't come to work unless you get your COVID shot. We're back to liability issues here. Yeah. You're the perfect the guy. Re- the reason the reason they do that is because they don't want to be sued for mm-hmm. allowing you as a dangerous person who won't accept the fact that COVID is real and won't wear a mask and won't get a, a vaccine yeah. and won't cure yourself of being someone who is a super spreader. And mm-hmm. I'm, you know, we're talking about the collective you, not you personally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, no, no, I understand. Trust me. I, I'm, I not, I'm not picking on you. Uh, um, uh, but. Those people who won't do that are also the same, who won't have the shot, are also the people that won't wear a mask, are also the people that won't stay six feet away from you. And those are the people that are causing this virus to spread in the United States. Now, we can debate all we want about whether they're inflating numbers or not. Uh, I, I can't honestly answer that. I, you know, you and I are just two guys talking. Yeah. Uh, you're either dubious or you're not. You're you're in the you're at somewhere in the middle, or you're to the left, or you're to the right. You know, I, I I don't know, but what I do know is that a lot of time and money has been spent trying to quote fix unquote this problem, and that causes me a shitload of concern. Yeah, and if if um. Uh, I'll, I'll say this to you, uh, to your point. I'm very happy that Britain approved the vaccine first. Yeah, let them <laughs> fuck them. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, and I'm and I'm and I'm happy I'm not the first person to get the vaccine. Yeah. But but I I've I've now heard enough. Um, how few negative reactions there have been what situations and what conditions existed for those people to have the reactions they had and how serious they are to say that it doesn't sound to me as somebody who sues drug companies for bad drugs. It doesn't sound to me like the negatives outweigh the positives. Now that that could change tomorrow. Mm Mm-hmm. You and I aren't in line to get the drug to get the vaccine tomorrow. So we can both we can both sit here 
debate this, uh, but we're both in wait and see mode. Yeah, and that's that's how I would define or describe how I feel right now. But uh, if 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 somebody if some if somebody came to my door and said, "Hi, I'm the COVID police. I have your vaccine. Can I give it to you right now?" I would take it. Now you see, I got a couple more things here for you, and. Uh, <laughs> All right. I do feel like the numbers are fudged because you have to look at this from just the I, I look at this because I'm a very curious human being. I've gotten people on the show from all different backgrounds, all walks of life. And I appreciate the hell out of this conversation because you're very candid, open and honest. And we don't agree on everything. We agree on hardly anything, but it's great. I like talking to you and I like the fact we have an open conversation. But I feel that the numbers are fake because what happened to flu deaths? What happened to any other kind of death? It seems like they try to peg everything on COVID. And the more COVID deaths go up, it seems like the symptoms are just being added. Oh, you have a runny nose. You have diarrhea. You've got this. You've got that. Oh, my goodness. You uh, got a paper cut. It must be COVID. There was a kid recently, a uh, 13-year-old. I, I'm, just, I'm, just not, I'm just not that – I'm not that conspiratorial. I, I – I, me I should, I, you know, as a lawyer, as a lawyer, you, you know, you're you're basically taught to question everything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, but I, I just, I just can't see it that way. I can't see it. I, I don't see what the upside is for scaring the shit out of us. I think they got it, and they're trying to find their way out of it now with the vaccine. I think the Democrats got Biden in office. They killed the economy. They got Biden where they want him, and now this this vaccine, everybody go get it and everything. I promise you, it's going to get better. Everyone gets the vaccine. They're going to, and I guarantee, and I will bet you $20, Mark Bello, <laughs> that they will give a second, because Joe Biden today said this is a down payment as far as the stimulus money. I guarantee you it's going to be $1,500 or more for people that produce that stupid COVID vaccine card. You're going to get more stimulus if you get the vaccine, because we have to crush the virus as nancy pelosi says i guarantee you that's what's going to happen i can't i have no idea it's an interesting theory it's a wild, um, it's a wild bet it's, it's i just that 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 would surprise me that 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 if you get if you get the shot you get more money is that what you're saying I'm thinking that's going to be part of the next package well we have to get rid of the virus we're going to give you guys even more money if you take this and you can provide the COVID vaccine shot card, <laughs> yeah. because there's a card now, there's like a kit. You if know, my, you my response, you, you my response to that, my response to that is how sad, how sad it is that our country has gotten to the point where we are so skeptical of what we're being told that we have to be paid to make ourselves safe. Now, now again, I, I, I'm certainly not saying that you're wrong. Um, cause I, I, I've, I candidly admit, I don't know. Same. Uh, I just, I just, I, I know what's going on in my community. Uh, both of them right now I'm in Florida, which is not, which Lucky is a, you. which is a red state. <laughs> Lucky you. <laughs> um, uh, I live most of the time in Michigan, which is a blue state typically. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I've, I, I, I've seen it from both, from both sides. Um, I, I don't like the way um, the governor of Florida is handling the crisis. Uh, why I'm here is is, uh, is a good question. It scares the shit out of me. Uh, 
in our own little in our own little community uh our our community government uh is doing a terrific job of protecting us and and enforcing rules that keep us safe um so i i enjoy frankly being where i'm at and having all of these uh, um, um, oh, I, I'm going to use a word I hate, but uh, uh, Trumpies, <laughs> cons- <laughs> conspiracy like theorists, like uh, who don't want to do anything yeah. uh, to protect themselves. Um, I'm enjoying having them made to do that or leave. Yeah. Uh, um, because they scare me. Now, th- does that mean that? I'm right and they're wrong? No. It might be as phony as you as you think it is or as they think it is because maybe you think it's less phony than they do. Uh, I have people who think it's a complete hoax who are neighbors of mine. Mm. Those people scare the shit out of me. I but feel I, like... but, I, but I have to live in the neighborhood with them. So either yeah. they have to follow the rules of the neighborhood Mm. Uh, now let's assume that the neighborhood saw it their way I'd get in the car and I'd drive home to Michigan because it would scare me to be here yeah now am I right I'm not that I'm not that arrogant to say I'm right same same like I I just have my feelings yeah it's it's not I'm not saying I'm right I'm just saying I, I believe what I'm being asked to do is not that hard on me to take the risk. That's the difference. Now, you live in Florida and Michigan, which are completely different areas, because Ron DeSantis is like, fuck it, open everything up. And you've got Gretchen Whitmer saying, no, you guys have to just stay locked down forever. But essential, and I and I, trust me, I hate that word, because essential to me they're, means... They're, they're completely different. You're right. Yeah. Anyone who relies on a paycheck is essential. So if I'm a guy who works at some electronic company who's deemed an essential, and I get shut down, I can't make a living, they're, they're not passing stimulus I, to me. I, I, I know it's painful. I agree with you. Yeah. That's That, by the way, is why I believe that this whole... Um, stimulus question. Mm-hmm. Now that's where, to me, you and you and I could find easy common ground here yeah, on, on that stuff. Because all of that—that's all political bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Um, how much money should a company get from the government because they can't make a living during the COVID crisis? How much money should a citizen mm-hmm. get because he or she can't make a living during the COVID crisis? My answer to that question is whatever they deserve. Whatever yeah. whatever is appropriate for their sacrifice. Where you and I differ isn't on the economic question. Mm-hmm. It's on it's on whether there's actually a crisis or not, A. But B Let's take what I just said in, uh, uh, about money. Now, now the question is, how much bullshit is involved mm-hmm. in, in evaluating whether this person, this citizen, needs money or whether this business needs money? And that gets back to that 
Maserati uh, Aston Martin we were talking about earlier. Oh yeah. Uh, not, not everybody. Not everybody treats this honestly and fairly the way they should. Mm-hmm. So when money's on the table, everything gets fudged, if you will. Um, that's just but, the way it but is. Safe, but safety, that's a whole different ballgame. Wear yeah. a mask, stay six feet away from somebody. How hard is that? Do you think there's going to be a choice eventually? Or do you think it's going to be take this vaccine and that's it and then wear your mask? So have this card while wearing your mask. Why do you think... Because there's a lot of conspiracy shit online, and I'm not a conspiracy guy, even though it kind of sounds like I am. I I ask questions. I'm on both sides <laughs> of the fence here. But I'm just saying because, like, I'm worried here because I feel like some companies, and they are already inquiring if they can force people to get the vaccine or have other accommodations for them, such as working from home and whatnot. But what about, like, a Walmart cashier? There's no options for them to work at home. But let's say Walmart who was a company who was deemed essential the whole time. They never closed. They just adjusted their hours. What if they get sent home because they don't want to get this vaccination? Do you think because masks are so effective is, is, is what they're saying, even though it's been kind of proven not to be as effective because places that are masking up are still getting the same, if not more cases and flare ups as other cases like Florida and South Dakota, which are not masking up and letting their people do what they're doing. Do you feel like there's going to be a mandate to get this vaccination? And is that, in your expert opinion, you know, being a lawyer, is that something viable? Is that something that's going to happen? Put on your fortune teller hat, grab your crystal ball, your your magic eight ball, and let us know what's going to happen here. Well, there's there's two sides to that, and two aspects to it. Let's put it that way. There's the. Uh, I think you're asking me whether the government can mandate us getting a vaccine, and the answer is, in my judgment, is no. Mm-hmm. Um, now there is a there is a public benefit, public health um, argument opposed to that, uh, and we've kind of been discussing that. Yeah. In, in the context of masks and social distancing, the, this idea that I'm, you know, I, this is America, I can do what I want. I, I said that isn't true. And I and I believe I don't believe the Constitution allows you the freedom to infect and kill somebody else. OK. Mm-hmm. Now, again, that that that's an extension um of what we're talking about, because you and I, neither of us know whether not wearing a mask and and standing within six feet of somebody will will cause COVID. We don't know that. That's what the government and the science is telling us. So if we're skeptical about it and we don't do it and it doesn't happen, are we right and they're wrong? So I, I'm not I'm not saying it's it's an absolute that it's true. But what I am saying is that you can't say you're free not to get a vaccine. You can't make me put a, a needle in my arm uh, because I'm an American and I, it's a free country. Mm-hmm. You can't, you, the reason you can't say that is because if they can prove to you that you're going to cause harm to somebody else by not doing it, they can make you do it. Follow me? Mm-hmm. Oh, of course. All right. That's, that's one. 
but the question you didn't ask me, mm-hmm. but you but you kind of asked it earlier, the Walmart question is, all right, now Walmart is going to get sued by the law offices of Mark Bellow if they don't make their cashier get vaccinated and Mark Bellow's client walks in and the cashier sneezes on her and causes COVID and Walmart knew that she didn't get the vaccine and decided that the Constitution permitted that and let her cashier anyway. Now, no. why, now why can't Walmart do that within the context of the Constitution? The answer, no, is, is, the answer is because the customer didn't know that they made that decision. Yeah. They thought, the customer did, that Walmart opened up after making sure all their employees were vaccinated. Now, let me ask now, let's, you this let's, say, let's say that Walmart put up a sign that said, enter at your own risk. Mm-hmm. A lot of our employees have not been vaccinated. Then yep. Walmart would have less liability. But the issue is liability here. That's why they wanted that liability waiver in the stimulus package. Now, what about this, though? Because masks are supposedly common knowledge that they help fight the virus, and they are the end-all, be-all. Wear your mask, wear your mask. We've been told this for close to a year now. Right. In a lot of stores, you have footprints that are, like, implanted on the ground. Stay this far apart. I was talking about the Universal Walmart. I wasn't talking about – I wasn't talking about Walmart. Well, like, not just Walmart because, like, (laughs) I think – well, the Walmarts in our area took those away, but like most other retail stores, and just talking onto a broader spectrum here, and not just Walmart, about these companies being held liable. If you're wearing the mask, and these guys are saying the mask is is your lord and savior now, you have to stay six feet apart. You got to do all these things, right? And now the vaccine's here. Can they just erase? Okay, now the mask isn't good enough. Now you need this. How more can you keep moving the goalpost? How much more can he keep changing the rules until people just get fed up with it? It's not a question of that. It's a question of what the public expectation is when they walk into your store. Okay. Okay. And, and, and I, I, you know, forget Walmart. Pick, you know, ABC store. Yeah. Because uh, I, I don't want to pick on any particular store and make it sound like <laughs> I'm anti-Walmart. I'm, I'm just, what I'm, what I'm saying is, that if the store owner opens his doors post-vaccine and says, by implication, you are now safe, public, mm-hmm. and they haven't vaccinated their employees, they have serious liability problems. Yeah. That's the, that's the, that's the point I'm making. But that's, what is that's why when we talk about the government making you get vaccinated... That's one level of enforcement. The other level of enforcement is li- what liability does is it makes corporate America enforce a vaccine mm-hmm. mandate. That's a whole different level of enforcement. Yeah. I don't want to be I don't want to be liable to my customers. And by the yeah. way, that's that's a humanitarian issue. What store owner Unless they're totally unethical or evil, what store owner wants to infect 
their customer, the person who puts money in their pocket, exactly. with a deadly virus. Oh, nobody would. All right. So your employee comes in and says, hey, boss, I'm not getting the vaccine. Fuck you. <laughs> I don't know, You're I, fired. I, I, can I say that on your show? <laughs> oh, oh, you can fuck, um, fuck, 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 fuck. All right. All right. <laughs> um, uh, you could bleep it out, but <laughs> no fucking um, fucking shit. What, what's what's the employer going to do? I can't yeah. if you don't get the vaccine, I can't keep you here because I can't expose you to my customer. Not mm-hmm. not that I hate you, not that you're a bad employee, not that I haven't valued your service, but I can't expose you to my customer. It'll create a liability problem for me. That's a lot choice. different. That's a lot different than the government mandating. But what about a choice? To take a vaccine. Because the government can't mandate it, but there are employers that are, you know, kind of skirting around the idea. Maybe we can get our employees to, to sign on to this. But then again, the masks are supposed to be this this virtue. Now, like you wear this mask and you're safe. Like people think and people are neglecting other means of staying safe because they think they have this mask when they think it's going to do it. There's I been many I, reports. I, I don't think I don't think you're being fair. I don't I, I think I think. What they're saying I'm, is you're, I'm you're, probably, safe, you're safer, not yeah. not you're safe. Nobody's saying that a mask 100% prevents the spread of COVID or that staying more than six feet away from somebody prevents mm-hmm. the spread of COVID. Should there be uh, a choice? What, what, but the vaccine does. But should there be a choice in the vaccine? It really hasn't been been uh, put out there as much. Like there, there isn't enough information on the vaccine to know that it's... Sure. 100% and, effective. And they're, but they're saying that it will substantially reduce the numbers. That's what they are. That's what they've said about mask wearing and social distancing. And that's and that's also what they're saying about the the vaccine that it that it will um, have a huge effect on on slowing down the spread. They said the, the vaccine, same thing about vaccine in your house. Is, the vaccine is being declared as a cure. As to whether that's true or not, we'll have to see. The same thing with staying in your house. Like, okay, everyone stay in your house. Don't work. Don't do this. Don't do that. Just stay in your house, watch Netflix, and buy the Nintendo Switch and play Animal Crossing, which was the big thing in the beginning of the pandemic. And it's like that didn't work. The second people are let out, they're going to infect each other. They're saying after the vaccine, you have to still wear a mask. You have to do this. You have to do that. Do you think that people are just thirsting for power? No, I think people are are scared, and they're searching for it for a solution to go, to return to their normal lives. God damn it. We just went on about two hours on the pandemic. <laughs> by, the, by, the, by the way, yes, you sir. Know, if you think about it, the vaccine is the easy way out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard to stay home. It's hard to close your business. It's hard not to go out to eat. It's hard not to open your restaurant. It's hard to wear a mask. It's hard to keep away from 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 somebody six feet. It's hard not to see your grandchildren or your children. It's hard to see your people in a, to see people you love in a nursing home or a hospital. Yeah, all of those things are hard. The easiest thing to do is to take a needle in the arm and be cured, right? So what what has really happened here is we've all basically taken this jaded view, uh, this this political. Um, uh, anti-establishment attitude that this is a free America and we can do whatever we want 
while we waited for the government to cure us. And that opens the door to more possibilities of the future. But now that we have, now that they have, they have what seems to be a cure, we're saying, oh, I don't trust that either. It's kind of, I want it both ways. I think you've always had that line in the sand because there's always been lies from the beginning, like 15 days to spread the curve or, or to flatten the curve or whatever. It was turned into nine months and they keep moving the goalposts back. Well, it, and, it, and it kind of gets back to herd immunity. You know, exactly. let's just let everybody die until, exactly. until, the, until the strong survive. Now, what about the whole chicken pox party? Like, I'm sure you know about these. You know, when, when one kid in the neighborhood gets chicken pox, the mom brings the kids over. They have a chicken pox party, and everyone's immune afterwards. I understand that, and I don't believe in herd yeah, immunity but, as much. But, but, that, but, but chicken pox didn't kill yeah. people like COVID does. It can when you're older. It becomes right, I know, but it's, not, but it's not a fatal disease like yeah. COVID. Yeah. Well, I mean, depending on who you ask, well, even COVID isn't like, fatal. It would be more like... Uh, um, we want to thin out the weakest among us, so let's have everybody take this drug that causes cancer. <laughs> yeah, who's going to do that? Exactly. This whole thing is a slippery slope, and I just feel like neither one of us is right or wrong in this whole thing. I just feel like we just don't have enough information, and I really hope, in hindsight, that I'm wrong, and I hope that this vaccine cures everybody and everyone's fine and we can go back to normal living. But I just feel like we gave too much power to the government and that they yeah, will you, never you, let you know, this you just, go. You just said that, but but the same person that said that said, I'm not taking it. I'm, so, I'm, what you're, I, so what you're basically saying is, I'm not taking it. I'm going to let everybody else be the guinea pig. Yeah. And hopefully that'll solve the problem. Oh, absolutely. Because right. I'm not taking it. But That's, I also take the same precautions. And at the end of the day, I preach the fact that I believe there should be a choice because I do wear my mask out in public and I do stay away. I've always stayed away from people. I've always used my hand sanitizer and I've always had a bottle in my pocket no matter what because I worked retail for years. And I keep hand sanitizer. I mean, I've always done these things. I don't, you know, cough on people. I always put my, <laughs> I hope not. my sneezes in the crook of my shoulder when I sneeze and things like that. So, like, I don't spread anything. Right. I just want there to be a choice. I don't want anything to be forced on me. And that's where I have a problem is 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 the fact that it feels like you're getting forced and almost encouraged to do things that you may not want to do. You've got celebrities. You've got Pelosi on TV. You've got Schumer. All these guys, even Mike Pence, you've got him on TV getting the COVID yeah. vaccine and saying, get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And I that's when I start pulling back. Like, why do you want me to get this so bad? Let me have the choice. Just let me wear the mask and do the things I normally do, and I'll wear the mask forever. I don't give a shit. Just don't force this vaccine on me. And that's where I well, – I but, just don't think – no, But nobody nobody has forced you to take the vaccine, have they? It's highly encouraged, and I think it's coming, and I feel like let's it's coming. See, let's, see, let's, see, let's, see what ha- let's see what happens with that. I, 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 don't, I don't think anybody's going to, quote, force you, unquote, to take the vaccine. Uh, I, hope. I, I hopefully hopefully it gets to a point where where we all feel comfortable, and it turns out to be as safe as we hope it is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a, a little bit of healthy skepticism is not a terrible thing right now, um, and we do and we do it in our age group and our social economic circumstance. Yeah, we do have the right. Um, let's call it the privilege mm-hmm. of not being first. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we can see. 
uh, I mean, l- l- let's put it this way. If, if an 80-year-old nursing home resident, the typical 80-year-old nursing home resident, uh, and I don't know what level is acceptable to you, but let's suppose that they inject 50 nursing home residents and one has a negative reaction. Mm-hmm. Let's say they do that all over the country to the point where 5 million nursing home residents have been 80-year-old and above nursing home residents have been injected, and one out of every 50 have a negative reaction. You taking the shot? Of course. And I mean, like, those are good numbers for me. Is yeah, like, those are good. 48 or 38? Uh, 38. 38, okay. So as a 38-year-old guy, you're taking the shot, right? Because if that population didn't get sick didn't have a negative reaction, you're probably not going to either. Yeah, probably not. Now, depending on your pre-existing conditions and whether you would need an EpiPen or whatever, uh, mm-hmm. I, have a, I have a nephew who has a uh, peanut allergy and carries an EpiPen around with him. He's somebody that's not supposed to get this vaccine. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's quite a bit of people like him out there that of won't course. get the vaccine. Yeah. So... You know, there, there's some precautions being taken and, and people that aren't going to qualify to receive the vaccine. Yeah. But for the most part, uh, you and I, in our age and socioeconomic circumstance, are going to have the privilege of sitting back and watching others uh, experiment a little bit before we're, quote, forced, unquote, <laughs> to, to take the uh, the, the military shows up and stabs us. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. By the way, I don't think the military is going to show up at our door and just like with a, like a battering ram and just stab us with these damn things. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to do it in a more subtle way. I think they're going to be like, "Okay, you want to come back to the office? Get this shot." I think that's we what's going to happen. Been talking for three hours. Uh, how long is your podcast normally? Oh Jesus! It, it, it you know it, it goes as long as it needs to. Okay, I've never I've never been asked to do this uh, as long as uh, I'm like I'm like saying to myself, it's past my bedtime. Oh, <laughs> me too. Oh man, like my head hits the pillow at nine thirty and I'm gone. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> uh, Don't worry, we're almost done here. I only got a couple more things for you. All right, all right, hit me. All right, so I do want to talk about your your books because we went to COVID and and COVID is a very passionate subject. We could talk about that for hours more, obviously, but. I do want to talk about your books because you 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 do other high profile legal cases besides the Catholic Church. I kind of wanted to get into this, and you also asked me a question earlier about why I became a Republican, and I want to ask you this question because I didn't get to hit you with it. I, I was trying to a couple of times earlier. You are a white male. Uh, you have all the advantages in the world, as far as the media tells you, because white people are so privileged, is what they you know like they want you to think about. What made you get into social justice, and and can you talk about the books about social justice that you got into? Well, again, it, it, I I touched on this earlier, and it, it, it's it's when you're an attorney, it's not about you; it's about your client. Yeah, and and the system, for lack of a better way to say it especially the tort system, as I defined it earlier, is really stacked against the little guy. 
And yeah. and when I say the little guy, it could be um, some hugely wealthy uh, individual who gets uh, totally disabled or made a paraplegic or quadriplegic in an in an accident, and suddenly he's Christopher Reeve, if you yeah. recall. Oh yeah, Superman, yeah. the horse riding uh, accident. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it's rich person versus poor person, um, but the the point I'm making is the victim uh, is typically um, going into battle with either a wealthy corporation or a hugely wealthy insurance company representing an individual or a corporation. So the civil justice system that I practice in is typically a David versus Goliath type of experience. The only benefit that the plaintiff, the person who is suing has, is he has an attorney representing him on a contingency fee basis, and he doesn't have to pay out of pocket to pursue that lawsuit. Other than that, the system is completely stacked against him. Uh, he has to prove his case. He has to wait out the process. And the defendant holds on to his money until he's forced to pay it. So what typically happens is that, uh, 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 let's say you're not Christopher Reeve, but let's say you have the injury Christopher Reeve has. How do you support yourself? And, what, pressure, and what pressures are being brought upon you uh, while the case is winding its way down the court system? Um, that, gets, that gets into my other business, which was, as I mentioned earlier, uh, financing a mm-hmm. uh, person through litigation. We try to help people stay the course because what happens is the companies know you're desperate, know you're disabled, know you can't work, and they delay, deny, and refuse to pay you so that they make you desperate to settle early and cheap. Yeah. Um, so what I did for a living all those years was I represented those people who were hurt uh, in this accident or that accident. Uh, in the case that Betrayal of Faith, my first novel is based on, um, it was two abused children. Um, in Betrayal in Black, my fourth novel, it was this young black man, family, mm-hmm. who who uh, uh, what we call a wrongful death case, whose whose uh, breadwinner was killed um, by a racist cop. Um, and each of my books is kind of based on either a criminal case or a civil case. Uh, only ba- only betrayal of faith, by the way, is based on a case I actually handled. Uh, what's happened since? Because uh, and I'll I'll share it with you real quickly. Sure. 
uh, Betrayal of Faith was supposed to be my only novel. It was supposed to be, uh, it was kind of a bucket list item. Mm-hmm. I hated what happened. I wanted to tell the world about it. So I promised myself that when I got older and slowed down a bit, I'd write a book about it. I did that, and I was satisfied that that was going to be, that my bucket list item was filled, was fulfilled, and I, my writing career was done. And then the 2016 election happened, mm-hmm. and, and whether you and I agree or disagree <laughs> on, on some of the stuff we've been talking about, huh. uh, what I was concerned about when I saw the 2016 election unfolding was could a bigot become president of the United States? Now, I'm not, I'm not arguing the politics of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and I, I'm going to say something in a second to illustrate my point. But what the book is about is uh, a candidate runs for president of the United States, and he runs on the slogan, of making America pure again, mm-hmm. ridding America of its Muslim scourge. Ooh. And um, it was based on the kinds of things that Trump was saying during the election. Mm-hmm. It was not written after the election. It was written during the election. Now, the book came out and a lot of people on your side of the aisle, and I don't want to. You you seem more middle of the road than some of the people I talk to, but yeah, but, I'm like right down the middle here. All right, so let's so let but let's talk about real Trumpers. Okay. Okay. The hardcore. Yeah, like Mark, Mark Bell. Mark Bell wrote a book that uh, does a hit job on Donald Trump. That's the accusation. And my response to that is, no, I wrote a novel before he was elected on what I hoped he wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. If a a Trumper sees a parallel between Ronald John, the president of my book, Betrayal of Justice, if they see similarities between Ronald John and Donald Trump, that's Trump's fault, not mine. Donald Trump had an opportunity to not be the guy that I wrote about, and if they think he sounds like this, then that's on him, not on me. Mm-hmm. It sounds now, what, what happens in Betrayal of Justice mm-hmm. is... He, the president-elect, announces that he's going to deport all Muslims. And again, this is a huge extension of what Trump said he would do. Mm -hmm. He didn't threaten to deport every Muslim from the country, but my guy did. He didn't say, I want to make America pure again, a la Hitler. Yeah, my guy said that. I was creating a parody of somebody who was way over the top in the kinds of 
bigotry uh, or their in it, the vision of America um, being a bigoted vision. Um, I went way beyond Trump's rhetoric. And yet, I can't begin to tell you how many people have accused me of, quote, doing a hit job on Trump. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, my response to that is, my guy was a parody of the person who was running for office. If you see parallels between the two men, that's not on me, it's on him. Sounds after, extremely after of justice. Yeah. I wrote a book called Betrayal in Blue. Okay. Which um by the way, I I want to go back to justice for a second. Sure. Uh, a young a young woman, um a Muslim woman, a white supremacist bombs her mosque in response to the president's uh, racist speech. Uh, so he decides to honor the new president by bombing the local mosque. The Muslim woman does not trust the cops in Dearborn, Michigan, which, by the way, is a real city. Oh, yeah. Michigan has uh, the largest population of Muslims, at least concentration-wise, in the United States. So, so she doesn't trust the Dearborn police to properly investigate the crime. And she actually goes out and identifies and follows the perpetrator. Mm-hmm. Um, a white supremacist is pissed. The, the white supremacist leader that this guy is a member of is pissed that this guy took it upon himself to bomb the mosque. And he kills him. The woman witnesses the murder. When the murderer leaves, she rushes to the aid of the white supremacist because she's a good woman mm-hmm. and, try, and tries to save his life. She pulls the knife out and takes out a handkerchief and covers up the wound. And she's holding the knife and the cops show up and catch her holding the murder weapon at the, <laughs> at the scene of the crime. And I think she did it. This Muslim woman is accused of murdering the white supremacist who bombed her mosque. <sighs> Enter Zachary Blake, the hero of all of my books, the lawyer, who um, who has a little bit of me in him, but he's a much better lawyer than I am. <laughs> um, but not better looking. And he represents her in the criminal case, um, and that's what betrayal of justice is about. Betrayal in Blue is a follow-up, not a sequel, but a follow-up to Betrayal of Justice, where a white supremacist um, is essentially uh, attempting to um, seek revenge for what happens to the white supremacists in Betrayal of justice, mm-hmm. and the reason it's called betrayal in blue is because it's a cop on cop novel where uh, a police officer is accused falsely of murdering a white supremacist in a small Michigan town, and the 
police chief in the, in the smaller town wants to take down the big city cop. So it's police department versus police department, and hence the title Betrayal in Blue. All of my books have a betrayal title and theme. I like it. Betrayal in Black is my fourth book. That's the one we talked about where the white cop shoots the innocent black man. And the book the book is kind of a very interesting examination of how the legal system might handle that event, um, both on the criminal side and the civil side, as we discussed earlier. Mm-hmm. Betrayal High, my fifth novel, is a similar story to Betrayal in Black. It's about a school shooting, uh, but uh, the topics that the community must tackle are um, wealthy entitlement, gun control, greedy gun manufacturing, uh, and what length the government and uh, the gun industry will go to protect the Second Amendment. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zachary Blake's job in that case is to take on the government and the gun industry especially from the standpoint of the tort system and taking on the gun industry as a product uh, and handling in the product liability context, representing uh, the victims of a school shooting. Follow me? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, And it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting study in, um, in political sides of that debate. Mm-hmm. Um, book is coming out in March called Supreme Betrayal based on, based on um, the, it's loosely based on the Kavanaugh uh, Supreme Court nomination. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm going to get accused of but what I will say about that in advance, because the book hasn't come out yet, is Christine Blasey Ford accused Brett Kavanaugh of sexually assaulting her. Mm-hmm. That's the he said, she said story. Yeah. And we don't know whether or not that's true. Yeah. My book makes it very clear that the candidate in my book, committed a sexual assault against Zach Blake's client. Mm-hmm. And she and Blake uh, uh, go on a crusade to prevent the nomination from taking place. Um, she, does, they, she doesn't want a sexual predator being confirmed uh, by the Senate as a Supreme Court Justice. Well, who would? Um, now, now, again, it's based on all of my books, as you can see, are based on events that have happened in America, except for Betrayal in Blue. Mm. Um, every one of them is based on something that happened. Uh, uh, there's a Betrayal High, by the way, is uh, was inspired by uh, the Parkland school shooting. Ooh. I have a I have a nephew, a great nephew, 
who goes to the um, middle school, which is right next door to uh, Marjorie Stoneman High School in Parkland, Florida. Sure. And I and I attended the memorial in Parkland, and it's not. You know, it's not a Parkland. It's not the Parkland school shooting. Yeah, but there are parallels, and that's what inspired Betrayal High. Betrayal in Black was inspired by the Castile shooting in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the young black man who had a gun in the car and wanted to show it to the cop, and the cop shot him before because he, he thought he was going to draw it. And yeah. The, and the woman videoed the whole thing in the car. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. So that was inspired by that incident. Uh, betrayal of Justice, as I indicated, was inspired by the election. Uh, Supreme Betrayal by um, the Kavanaugh hearings. So each of my books has been inspired by re- real events, but not necessarily events that I handled in my practice, except for Betrayal in Blue. The book I'm currently working on is about the immigration crisis Mm -hmm. um, told from the perspective of a uh, Venezuelan illegal immigrant Mm -hmm. uh, and a Muslim who travels overseas and gets um, seized and taken hostage by ISIS. Uh, so it goes back and forth between those two stories. Uh, that's the book I'm working on currently. Supreme Betrayal, by the way, is coming out in March. Okay. The others are already out, uh, and you can uh, buy my books on Amazon um, or go to markmbello.com and uh, check them out there. I was just going to say, where can they find your books? But you were so good at this that you gave it out already. (laughs) Mark, this has been incredible. Seriously, like I have been looking for a yin to my yang, someone to fight me on all these topics. And holy crap, I can't believe we just went three hours plus on just arguing back and forth. But at the same time, having a civil conversation, because I feel like that's what's lacking in America today. And I feel like that's where we all kind of went left and right is because we can't meet in the middle. And that is where I like doing these interviews and just having people on the show because we can have a conversation. And I feel like we're giving a nice example to people out there. It would be be nice if if the rest of America stopped shouting at at one another and and actually started talking to each other. That's for sure. Exactly. And uh, I do expect... I give my give my books a try. I think you'll I think you'll like them. I'd like to I'd like to hear what you think. I was just going to say I do expect a copy of each book autographed. <laughs> you buy you buy them all autographed. How's that? <laughs> touche, touche, my friend. So uh, your email is legalthrillerauthor at yahoo dot com, and the website is www.markmm as in Mary Bello dot com. Please check out Mark Bello. He is a hell of a guy, as you guys have, have already told, or have already been told by the three hours plus conversation we've had. Mark, you have to come on the show again, especially after the next book. You're a hell of a guy. Do you want to leave the listeners with any words of advice or encouragement or anything else 
besides that I was right on everything we talked about. Happy to do it. Just uh, 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 by the way, uh, if you if you if you need a guest in last minute or something like that, give me a call. Listen, you are not Send a last shoot minute me an email. guest. You are not a last minute guest. You will always be my first call, sir. I appreciate <laughs> you. All righty. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by charlottesweb.com. Ladies and gentlemen, if you love CBD just as much as I do, I need it. So you need it. We all need it. If everybody had CBD in our life, we wouldn't be so fucking at each other's throats all the time. I said a couple of uh, podcast episodes ago about cbdmedic.com kind of going the way of the wayside. Well, they didn't. They merged. We all went to a bigger and much, much more well-known company called Charlotte's Web. And that's something that needs to happen more in business and life in general is everyone needs to kind of get together and make something bigger, something bigger than yourself. And that's what CBD Medic did with Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web is one of the most well-known names in podcasting. People talk about this all the time. People talk about this all the time in the CBD world. They are entrepreneurs, pioneers in the game. These guys are huge business. And I'll tell you what, they are not so big that they forgot about the little man because they gave us a code to give to you guys. VOM10. This will get you any fucking order over $150. You will get the coolest product I've ever heard of with CBD. This is an active sports stick. So anytime you spend $150 or more, use the code VOM10, you get a free active sports stick, which is phenomenal. You can use this thing on any part of your body. If you're an active person, you go out there and you just do anything physical. You take the sports stick, you rub it on your part of your body. There's also a spray version. Spray it on that injured, affected part of your body. Within minutes, you will feel great. This thing will alleviate any pain. It, will, it is phenomenal. And if that's not your thing, you're spending 150 bucks to get this free sports stick. Why not get a free sports stick? Spend the 150 bucks. Take advantage of all their products. They have uh, all sorts of shit: rubs, lotions, tinctures, tunctures, all sorts of things that you probably can't even pronounce. So many cool different products, different topics. Everything tastes great. Charlotte's Web has a 100% money back guarantee on products you may or may not like. But you will get to keep the free active sports stick. But you have to use the code VOM10 at checkout. Spend 150 bucks or more. If you don't like the product, simply send it back and keep the free sports stick. But you won't send it back because you're going to be so fucking on cloud nine. You won't even be able to make it to the mailbox to send it back because you're going to feel so good and relaxed for the first time in your life by using charlottesweb.com, using the code VOM10 products that you will not know what to do with yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, take it from the nerd. I would never, ever steer you wrong until I do. But this is not one of those cases. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Podbean.com. Yes, Podbean.com. Have you ever wanted to get your voice heard by millions upon millions of people around the globe? Are you too dumb to start up your own website professionally? Are you too dumb to start up your own podcast? Are you so dumb that you don't know? (laughs) I'm sorry. Are you me? Because that's basically me describing myself. You know, when we got into this podcasting game about two years ago, um, it was very hard to find a good platform out there, someone that gave us the voice and the opportunity and the tools to make our dreams and vision become a reality. Well, let me tell you something. Podbean.com made it simple, easy, and effective, cost-effective, very cheap to sit there and get your voice out there. And I know the time all that is you get what you pay for, but in this case, you get 10 times more than what you pay. I mean, these guys are getting, like, we're robbing them, basically. And I'm going to tell you something, man. You better jump in on this deal now because right now everyone's at home. Everyone's got a lot to say, a lot of things in their mind. Podcasts are popping up all over the place, and there's no better place than Podbean.com to start your own podcast. They make everything easy. Even a dumbass like myself was able to make a website, can produce a podcast, can put things out there, and just have all sorts of different 
outlets, and they make it simple for you to get on, you know, Apple and all the big shots like Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio, all these other big-name places that you can get your podcast seen and heard. They do it for you, and they make you just basically walk through baby steps through this process. I mean, they make it so simple and easy, and to sweeten the deal, if you go to www.podbean.com slash vompodcast10, that's vompodcast10 using our code, they're going to give you five free hours of podcasting space to see if you like it, which you will. And if you don't, no harm to you. There's no risk. Tons of reward just to try it out. So give it a shot. www.podbean.com slash vompodcast10 and get your voice heard. And lastly, this podcast is brought to you by <laughs> my good friends here. I tell you what, man, I fucking love these guys and I'm so glad they're back. I never had so much fun recording a podcast commercial for my friends at manscaped.com. I'm so happy they're back, ladies and gentlemen, because I missed them. I mean, it's been a while since I talked about them, since I was allowed to talk about these guys, and holy shit, my balls have never been happier. I, I, I was crying in the shower the other day, and I was using this cheap-ass shaver. I'm not even going to use the name. I bought it at Walmart for fucking 30 bucks, and I'm shaving my nuts, and all of a sudden, I just howled in pain, and I cried for the first time in my adult life. Well, for the first time this month, actually. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. And blood was trickling all at the bottom, just little droplets. And I said, I said, screw it. And I stopped and I was half shaved and I was walking around with a half row of my balls. Horrible, horrible experience. So I did what I could do and I picked up the phone. I called Manscaped and I said, please come back. Please sponsor the show. And they were like, all right, fine. Here you go, nerd. Here's a nice new product for you. Here is the lawnmower 3.0. This thing is amazing. Just the design, the engineering on this thing is beautiful. I mean, a lawn th mower 3.0 trimmer is designed with a compact shape for easy maneuvering while wet or dry. This thing's waterproof. More waterproof than your stupid iPhone 20 or whatever the hell they're at now. It's just amazing. It's got the skin-safe technology. That's the perfect tool for an incredible grooming experience. It's very sleek. I mean, it, you can travel with it, and it's also wireless. So you can charge it, and you pick it up. You can bring it in there with you. So you don't have to worry about you know, accidentally electrocuting yourself in the goddamn shower. They also got other products, too, like the Weed Whacker, which I need because as an old man who's starting to get gray hairs now, my nose hairs are really long. And the Weed Whacker, you just jam this thing in there like Arnold Schwarzenegger from Total Recall and just move it around in your fucking nose. And instead of pulling out that little ball that he had that was tracking him with, what, with whoever else chasing him, it's going to pull out those nasty nose hairs. It's like going in a backyard and ripping out weeds, but it's painless. You don't feel any pain at all. You don't get those nasty scents of batteries that you get from all those cheap-ass ones. This one's amazing. The skin safe technology as well. Something I cannot brag enough about with these guys. You do not hurt yourself. You don't have droplets of blood. You don't hurt yourself at all. It's amazing. You can go as hard as you want. You, you just pull it, you just pull that sack back and you just fucking go to town on yourself. Before you know it, you're going to be smooth. Smooth as my head. My, my bald head. I love this thing. You could use it on your fucking head. You could use it in your armpits, your mustache, your, every place on your body. You can use this thing. And I'm telling you what. The ladies are going to love you for it because you're going to be as smooth as a baby's butt. It's amazing. The battery life is phenomenal. they got a 600 mAh lithium-ion battery. Hold the charger up to 90 minutes. You can shave your whole body five times in 90 minutes, even more, depending on how tall or you know, short you are. It's such a phenomenal. They send you all sorts of stuff, and there's a lot of different things that you can get as well. There's a crop reviver. keeps your balls cool. The crop preserver keeps them nice and shave-free. And the cleanser. 
It romances your stones. It's basically a hair and body wash. It makes you feel really good. But Ball Deodorant. Who ever thought of Ball Deodorant? Only these guys. I'm serious. They are the best company out there. Very innovative, and we're happy to have them back. There's so many different things. Here's some testimonials for you. 85% of women think bad grooming is a major turnoff. 80% of women think men should trim below the belt. Those other 20 women are dirty fucking skeezers. 89% of men think grooming is essential to their professional success. So thank you, men. We're actually moving up in the rank. There's 11 dirty bastards out there, 11% of dirty bastards, but we'll get to them. And if you get this right now, there's an exclusive offer. You get free boxers and a travel bag, so you can put all these tools in there. And $109.99, you get every single product. And you get a money-back guarantee. And the cool thing about that $109.99 plan is it's every three months. So you get fresh products. You're always fresh and trim. Your ladies are going to be all over. You're going to have to beat them off with a stick, all right? You're going to look phenomenal. You're going to smell phenomenal. And the best thing is you're just going to get some free gifts like that fucking Manscaped Boxers. I mean, it's going to keep your dick all where it's supposed to be. And that bag is amazing. It's really sleek. It's a leather bag. It's going to keep all your stuff protected. So get on this right now, manscaped.com, and use our code VOM10. VOM10 at manscaped.com, and please do it. And you'll save tons of money. You're going to save $80 off the retail price. So normally, it'd be $169.99 for the Perfect Package 3.0. You're going to get it for $89. You're going to go for the, the best package, the $109.99. Normally, that's $197, so that you're going to save even more money. The more packages that you get to protect your package. Why wouldn't you do this, ladies and gentlemen? Go to manscaped.com, V-O-M-1-0.